Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. I'm on Planet X looking for a dweeb who wears green fatigues. He wears glasses. He has long hair. And he... Chicken. Yes. Yes. Chicken podcast. (laughs) Perfectly executed. Is that Kurt Russell's longest stretch of dialogue in the entire movie? I think so. Anyway. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, it, it is bizarre uh, how long he goes essentially being a featured extra for swaths of this movie. <laughs> yeah. And then at points they're like, no, 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 he's actually, no, he's one of the stars. He's one of the stars. Sorry, we forgot about that. He is still one of the stars. But I got to say, this is pretty star great. Oh, I see wow. what you did there. He was, he was trying to get that in there. Hello and welcome to Blank Check with Griffin and David. I... And Ben Hosley, because on today's episode, we have a Ben's choice. <gasps> what? I, I, I haven't heard that name in years. It's been a while. It's been since our it's been. classic. It's been uh, our classic episode on Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Which yeah I th- okay. Right. Yeah. Right. That was iconic. Awesome, right. Iconic. Iconic. Fully iconic. Love that movie. I, I think I'm going to buy the game, the pirate one. You bought a Switch and you've been using your Switch to try to quit smoking. Yeah, that was the idea. And now it's just become another habit. <laughs> sure. No, but that's but that's the goal is just eventually it becomes the all-consuming habit. Right. I sort of like, I, I move that into place, right? Instead right. of like smoking. But right now they're both in place. But we'll see. Sure, sure. Yeah, we'll now see. It, is Zelda the only game you have right now? Well, I got the Mortal Kombat 11. You have sure, the Mortal Kombat 11, sure. which which you are in. Yeah. You're not a playable character yet. It's so great. Yes, right. I mean, who knows? Maybe yet. with like a, an expansion pack. They're they'll, adding they'll DLC throw me all the in. time. But you that are rule. Your entire list of nicknames is, in fact, in the game Mortal Kombat 11, for those who don't know. Yeah, and you have to unlock Arnold, which I don't know how to do. Interesting. Wait, Arnold, Arnold, or whatever from... Terminator. Yeah, right. Because it's the Terminator. Yeah, it's the Terminator. I just call him Arnold. He plays the governor of California. <laughs> uh, but when you go to like his point of view screen mm-hmm. after he kills someone, after fatality, after he, right? Um, oh, in his his like his heads up display. I yes. see. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Then it, uh, then it I, says I yeah. it says like subfolder Ben Hosley, and then the folder opens up, and every nickname is listed, including yeah, many like, series nicknames. But like in the initials of it, it's it's so great. Right. Yeah. Who is? We should shout out. Who is that person? I forget their handle on Twitter. I don't know if I should say their oh, name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I forgot. But let's just say that it does exist there in the game. Yeah. And that perhaps whoever did it snuck it in. <laughs> yes. Which is even better because that totally fits my vibe. Yes. Bad it was boy a, activity. <laughs> breaking the rules. A blankie who is an SB, a classic sneaky boy. 
snuck that Easter egg into the game and it maybe got a little more attention than it should have. And I regret bringing it up on this episode now, but let's keep it in all right, and all let's right, double all right. it. All right. And we just heard it twice. We heard it God. twice. Ben, well, do you like yeah. Stargates because they break the rules of travel by, yeah. by creating Einstein-Rosen bridges across galaxies? It's also like wet tech, It's but it's ancient. It's got all the things, man. It's it like, is, I will say, you know how people say like Jaws, 50% of the success is because of the score, right? Like, you know, that was like a Spielberg quote where he's like, that's like 50% of the movie. Whoever decided to make the Stargate look like water, that was 50% of Stargate's <laughs> entire success, TV yeah. shows, mm-hmm. everything. 100%. But this is a perfect episode to drop at this time because you're going through a bit of a brand tra- transition. You've been really into wet stuff, yeah. slick flicks for a long time, but for it's sure. almost like you've crossed through that threshold. I know. I know. You feel like you've gotten all that you could get out of that. And you've been rebranding as a dry guy. It's, you've been really true. into dry, dusty stuff. And this movie takes place in a goddamn desert. I Very know. Desert. Once they cross through the water. Yeah. The Very water ironic gate. that the water, the water gate. Yes, a water indeed. gate. Let's call it what it is. It's a water <laughs> it's gate. A water it gate. is a water gate. Yes. Uh, does, and Nixon's inside of it. You, you yes. hear him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I, I love this film. <laughs> But yeah, it does take well, him it and to Al the. Gore. Yes, yes, exactly. Right, right, right. Uh, takes Can. it right to the driest place on not Earth. Mm. Mm. It's not actually Earth, guys. <laughs> well, okay. I should introduce, of course. That that was David Sims. You just heard. Hey. We also have Griffin Newman. Hey. And then Ange Faraguda. What's up? All right, we're in the house, baby, and we are going to discuss. 1994's Stargate. Mm-hmm. A Roland Emmerich film. Um, wait, there's more setup that Griffin says for the intro of Blank Check. I'm trying to think <laughs> of it. What is this podcast about, Ben? Oh, it's about filmographies. Directors who have massive success and are, here, and are issued a series of Blank Checks to do whatever pa- crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear... And sometimes they bounce, baby. And Ben, when does when do those early successes tend to happen? I fucked it up. I said the thing. <laughs> you said you you, you yeah. were trying to. It's fine. It's all good. It happens early. Trying, early. Early. It happened early. You're right. Yeah. Um. This D- directors is... who experienced massive success earlier on their career, which I just want to point out because this is his American breakthrough. This sort is the guarantor of. that gives him uh, uh, Independence Day. I mean, I it's guess so. Universal Soldier. Series. Yeah, Universal Soldier gets him this. He sort of climbs like by about like 30 million bucks at a time, right? Like right. Universal Soldier, that costs like 25 million. This costs like what? Like 55 million, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it and makes then, like and 180 like, is, worldwide. Right. And this is so silly. And everyone's like, ah, come on, man. Like a gate to the, through the stars is ludicrous. But audiences are like, we love it. I've and heard so of a map he gets, to the stars. But a gate through the stars? Right. Uh, and then so then he gets Independence Day. I guess that's his biggest. But Independence Day was cheap. $75 million budget. Well, well, it's well. It's pretty impressive. Well, well, <laughs> I got things to say. And let's let's state here, very often, Ben, when we give you the checkbook, when we let you yeah. pick the movie with a Ben's Choice episode, yes. they tend to be very often films that are more star-driven. 
what you've really attached to is the movie star at the center of the film. Right? You're like yeah, like your Chevy Chase. Oh, I thought you right. meant like literal stars in the sky. Well, that too. That's sure. true. I mean, we've gone from stars to a stargate. But right. Je- Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and Martin Short and people who were big to you, yep. you know, influential oh, and to you. Assassins. Well, I was going to say. And then, of course, assassins. Yeah, right. Absolutely. The sort of league of assassins in general. Right, right. Um, this is more of a director-driven film, which we have usually tried to scare you off from doing because we don't want to tiptoe into territory that might be covered by a miniseries someday. But we are and never doing Roland Emmerich. <laughs> and this isn't that bit where I say we're never doing no, Roland we're, Emmerich. We're not going to do... Is, he is R. literally on the blank check blacklist of miniseries. Yeah. Uh, have fun Googling Roland Emmerich, Brian Singer. This no. is our all right, Roland all right. Emmerich Move it episode. along. This is yeah. our Roland Emmerich episode is my point. Yeah. Okay. I don't, sure. I can't imagine. I mean, I guess we could do... I'm starting to see if there's like a franchise. He's sort of in the Godzilla universe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if there was a fourth, a third American Godzilla, we could do that as like, look at all the different American Godzillas. But I mean, that's about it. Two Independence Days. I think this is the only time we're ever going to cover him on the show. Yeah, I mean, the Independence Day franchise is not really compelling. No, no, no. But this is a big thing about Roland Emmerich. To your point that like Independence Day is cheaper than you think it would have been, although that was a hefty budget for 1996. His big selling point to the studios at the time when he started making these films, when he made the jump from Universal Soldier to Stargate and then from Stargate to Independence Day, is I know how to make these movies cheaper than anyone else because I have a lot of dialogue scenes that can take place in the same locations over and over again. I know how to structure these films on a script level. So the big moments happen and you get your money shots for the trailer and they're doled out across the film, but there's a lot of stuff in the middle in between that is deceptively inexpensive. Mm. And this definitely falls into that. This is the first time he's testing that model where you're just like, there's a lot of the movie where they're just in a hut. Yeah. And then it's bookended by some exciting shit happening or a monster <laughs> or a fight scene. Well, and also, right, yeah, as you say, stuff. that very 90s thing of every spe- big special effects shot feels like a big deal. Right, like, right. You know... Um, he was one of these guys where it was like, I'm going to make your money count. I'm going to give you the big money stuff, but I'm going to understand how to stretch that dollar in between the money shots. And his right. other thing was, I'm not going to try to make these movies with Bruce Willis or Mel Gibson or Sylvester Stallone. You're guys who are going to demand $20 million. I'm going to pick people who are either A, a little bit like on the wane, or B, haven't done a movie like this before and right. want the paycheck. Or C are just like, I don't know, that seems like fun. But they're like proven leads who aren't necessarily box office, big budget movie stars. Well, he likes like also just the classic uh, action guy nerd combo, right? Totally, yes. That was my first thought watching this. Russell and Spader, and then Independence Day, he's got Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. And then in in, uh, Godzilla, he's got Jean Reno and uh, Matthew Broderick. Right. Like he... He keeps he keeps doing that until it doesn't work for him anymore. Yeah, no, totally. And and then that also becomes like a model that that others follow. I think a problem is as we get to the end of the 90s and into the 2000s, people stop having the conviction to hire an actor who is convincingly the brainy guy. And they start yeah. wanting an action star to also play that they, part. They, they just slap some glasses on someone. They're like, your glasses <laughs> in this one. 
Can I can I make my argument for the one that breaks it? Because the ideal of this model is obviously uh, Goldblum in Jurassic Smith and Park yeah, and right. and in uh, yeah. uh, Independence Day, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's the the best version of that. Where it's like, oh, this guy is genuine movie star energy, but he's right. not a conventional leading man. He's uh, but you believe him as the brainy guy, totally. Um, and then the peak of it uh, for my money is. Nick Cage, not the peak, I'm sorry, the one that breaks yeah. it is huh. Nick Cage in The Rock. Yeah. Because at that time, it's seen as a similar thing to Broderick or Spader, where it's like, Nick Cage in an action movie? Why would he do this? Nick well, Cage he's is, playing a nerd. He's playing a doctor. And he's so good in it, and it totally great. plays off of the fact that he that doesn't belong in a movie rules. like that. Perfect film. Uh, Perfect great film. Great movie. Perfect film. And unlike Roland Emmerich, we have no clear reason to avoid doing a Michael Bay miniseries for the time being. Yeah, no. There was no paper trail despite him being an unpleasant person. Well, Roland Emmerich has given interviews. It's not even a thing where it's a secret. He has like done secret. interviews where he's like, I love throwing those bodies. It's I'm great. I'm not speaking out of turn. I should I'm make a Google. movie about slavery. He loves it. He loves having sex parties with Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer. The wildest uh, thing right, about on, him no, is no. like, yeah, okay. yeah, let's get off that. But like Godzilla, he's like, Godzilla doesn't really work, right? Kind of yeah. a bomb. Okay, all right. He's like, hmm. I'm definitely qualified to make a revolutionary war movie. <laughs> Insane. Insane. <laughs> That's the lateral move here. <laughs> but wait, there are two things I want to say here. The the Cage move that breaks it is after The Rock works so well, Cage is mm. like, okay, I want to keep being in action movies, but I no longer want to be the nerdy guy who shouldn't be in the action movie. Right, in Con Air. I want to be the cool guy. Yeah, he's the cool guy. Right, so then it becomes, if you cast a character actory guy to be in an action movie, he's like, I got to get jacked. I got to mm. be conventionally handsome. I don't want to be the low status guy anymore. Mm. The other thing is, I think there was a secret sauce to Roland Emmerich, which is that Dean Devlin was his nerdy guy and he was the jock. He was the more conventional movie star. Like Roland Emmerich in the creative team was the like muscular, like I'm going to do the effects yeah. and make shit yeah. blow up. And Dean Devlin was like the nerdy guy who like cared about the world building and sort of did the like bare minimum, what's the emotional backstory of these characters kind of right. stuff. And the Patriot is the one where Dean Devlin stops working with him, right? It's after uh, that. No, he always produced with him. He stops writing. But that's a big shift. It is a big shift. I mean, I'm sure, right. I'm sure he had no interest in writing The Patriot. That's a Randall Wallace. No, it's Robert Rodin. I take it back. But um, I, I enjoy uh, Day After Tomorrow a lot, but Day After Tomorrow definitely feels like a movie that is lacking Dean Devlin. Day After Tomorrow is putrid trash, and I will never understand that movie's like cult. I love and you're it. not the only one. I, yeah, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal's hot. That's all you yeah. need to know. That's highbrow I'm trash. Fully trash. aware that he's hot. I, I'm. Uh, they, I, there's no. Although he he's, he's so hot, why is it freaking snowing oh, well, in that movie? Well, well, that's how he survives. Is and just I, like all of the heat <laughs> is just centralized with Jake Gyllenhaal, and everything else is cold. So if you stay with him, you survive. David, I want to say, actually, thank you for uh, enlightening me. I now realize that climate change is a hoax. Because that's true. (laughs) (laughs) If if we Um, were really experiencing a nuclear winter in the fictional world of that movie, then why is he so hot? It doesn't make sense. I mean, Day After Tomorrow, another Roland Emmerich movie, is a a good example of, right, how things change. Where I guess the nerd in that is Dennis Quaid. Like, it's sort of like like, they start giving up on that. It's like his friend in the movie. We should yeah, point let, out let's t- has a podcast. Quaid yeah, does well, have a podcast now. Quaid's got a podcast. It's the Quaid. Wait, Quaidisans. 
Yeah, it's the Quaidasans. He has he has acclaimed it. He he has proclaimed a Quaidasans. I don't know if there's like <laughs> consensus on that. If there's yeah. anything I know about Dennis Quaid is that it's a good idea to have that guy behind a microphone as much as possible. <laughs> we just want to get as many of his thoughts on the record. All right, because the more I he have, shares, the happier we're going to be. I have to read his his Twitter bio okay, yeah. because it's so good. Okay. Where is it? I sent it to you, right, Ben? Is he the yeah. one that just married a 26-year-old? Yep. Okay. He has a 39-year gap with his fiance. yes. That, yep, with that, yep. Which is a hefty gap. I mean, you know, she's 26 well, the plot, years the old. The plot of the parent trap is they're like, our dad's dating a 26-year-old. And that movie <laughs> came out like 15 years ago. 20. I, 20. A full 20. I, a gentleman's I, 20. I, I did forget that. All right, here's his bio. Besides being an actor, musician, song, songwriter, writer... He, he separates out songwriter and writer, by the way, and podcast pioneer, semicolon. He is also Go a on. jet pilot, amateur astronomer, fly fisherman, philosopher, low handicap golfer, medical safety advocate, and armchair historian. Wow. Wow. Rich Way people are annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think I do think that's, and even though I'm defending Day After Tomorrow, which I love in spite of it being abject trash. It's uh, so bad. Oh no! It's Denisons. We're we're messing this up. No, we blew it. Oh no! We he's, blew he's it. at my door oh, no. right now with a oh, battering no. ram. The intruder himself. <laughs> he's he's trying to intrude in your home. Um, no, I was going to say. I think day after tomorrow, the problem is that the roles are not defined because Dennis Quaid yeah. is kind of the old timer hero character we're talking about, the more conventional action hero, and then Jake Gyllenhaal is not the nerd, and they're not together. They're father and son, right? So there's like right. a family thing. Right, right, right. Right, and then from there on out, like 2012, I also love as trash. It's objectively- 2012 is better trash. I like, I mean, Roland Emmerich's thing is that he takes absolute junk conspiracy shit, which I'm sure Ben is about yes. to talk about, and just turns yeah. it into something that's just very entertaining. Like, he's also silliness. He's also, yeah. he's Spielberg from morons. Right. Like right, everything right. is like <laughs> hey. the worst sort of like lounge act <laughs> impression of Spielberg. But guess right. what? I love Steven Spielberg. It's I good. will watch a bad impression of Steven Spielberg because it still ends up being more artful than a lot of other blockbusters because he's ripping off the right guy. And like, like in terms of just like his half-baked characterization, but the like the striking at trying to have the profound emotional arcs that Spielberg would have. You know, like every character in a Roland Emmerich movie has a bad version of Elliot's arc in E.T. But he definitely, he's lost it. I mean, you went right, he's completely lost it. His movies are pretty boring now. Or well, they're I mean, just, White House Down was not bad. White House Down is great. I forgot about that one. That one's good. He has the right stars there. Right. I haven't like, seen I the enjoy, last three. Well, you haven't seen Independence Day Resurgence? I did not. I did not uh, yeah. rise up Research. and see the Resurgence. Well, I will say there's a scene in that where uh, the alien ship, which is like the size of a continent now, mm -hmm. uh, picks up Europe and like drops it on America or something like that. Like it picks up one continent and drops it on another continent. And like Jeff Goldblum piece? says, yeah, <laughs> a big puzzle piece. And Jeff Goldblum says, what goes up must come down. That's what he says to that. Does he say that dramatically right before Europe? He drops says it like kind of jokingly. And I'm like, isn't that like a couple billion people just getting <laughs> dropped? <laughs> Wait, where are they when this is happening? I don't know. They're somewhere else. There's a whole okay. thing with oceans, too. <laughs> um, okay. For that one, he didn't even Ben's try. Like, he just was like, get me three hotties. Like, he just, he got Liam Hemsworth, Micah Monroe, and Jesse Usher. It was just like, yeah. I don't know. Find me yeah. three attractive people. 
Um, do you know why I didn't see Independence Day Resurgence? I don't know. You had better things to do. No, not a joke. Uh, there, there was one. There was one mistake they made, which is that uh, Will Smith isn't in it. That was an issue. Yes, Who that was. gives a fucking shit? They were trying to make it for so long, and then he finally got fed up of waiting for Will Smith to have an opening in his schedule because Will Smith wouldn't commit. And he was like, you know what? I think we can do it without him, which is one of the dumbest decisions of all time. There is no reason to make that movie without Will Smith back. They wrote the script of Will Smith in it. He was the president of the United States. And at yeah. the end of the movie, he was going to get inside the fucking jet like Bill Pullman does at the end of Independence Day. And everyone would have cheered and it would have won the Nobel Prize Prize. It would have well, been terrible Will, and we all would have loved it. Will Smith did a great job not being in that movie because that movie stinks to high heaven. But don't you um, think it would have been better if he was in it? And do you know what movie he chose to do over Resurgence? I don't know. What would he do? After Tell me. Okay. Well, mm. I, I mean, it, I'm sure there's a version of that of resurgence that's okay. The, the, but the script they filmed is is, is not fantastic. I would sure. say maybe need a little more honing from the five credited screenwriter. Just half of Europe on America, not all of Europe. <laughs> what Seems goes like up a bit must much. come down. <laughs> but you all go right. like but anyway. Post resurgence, then it's uh, uh, Stonewall, which is no, that's pre resurgence. Oh, okay. Um, uh, that but, movie, that movie is 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 hauntingly bad. I mean that that movie like. <laughs> well, that was like a ugh. shit show from the trailer. It's a like, shit you show. Know who threw the first brick? This white guy. Yeah, right. I mean, politically, that movie's a shit show. It's also just unwatchable. Like, it's not good anyway. Like, right, right. Yeah. But, but like uh, the people who uh, uh, sparked the Stonewall Rebellion were uh, uh, trans POC. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roland Emmerich himself is an openly gay man, is is one of the most successful openly gay men in Hollywood, and just openly recast all of those characters with handsome, young, white, pretty boys. Yeah, uh, Warhorse Boy is It's it. Warhorse he, Boy. Yeah. But people asked him about that in interviews, and he just went like, well, you know, you have to sell a movie. You can't put a person like that at the front of the film. Jesus. Yeah. Um, um, and then he made Midway, which I did not see. Did not see. I, I also have okay. a. I have a soft spot for his Shakespeare movie. I never saw the Shakespeare movie. Look, I mean, he's my flavor of trash. I'm not proud of it, but it almost it's always goes fine. down easy. And part of it is that even in something like 2012 or uh, a Day After Tomorrow, I think he knows how to execute these set pieces better than anyone else. If you're doing disaster porn. His looks better than everyone else's. At least, at least for a long. Yeah, I guess no one's really taken the crown from him, right? Like no, and like here's what you compare it to. You go like, well, what about like something like War the of the Rise Worlds? of Skywalker? Well, 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 that's a different type of disaster porn, Angela. Uh, but something like War of the Worlds, you're like, oh, this is like a great evocation of a disaster happening, of like a horrific, like apocalyptic event. Roland Emmerich doesn't do that. He's like, how cool can I make the world ending look? Like, I don't want this to be haunting right. at all. It'll be great. It is It'll be pure fun. spectacle. And I think he does that incredibly morbid, vaguely fucked up thing better than anyone else. Now, Ben Hosley, I want to throw this back yeah. to you. We should we should loop back around to the Stargate. It's Ben's episode and we're not hosting. Why well, did yes. you pick the Stargate? When did you enter the Stargate? Mm. These are all great questions. <laughs> and since we are connoisseurs of context... Mm. For any listener who, you know, has not heard of Ben's Choice before, here's the deal. A lot of these movies I watched on a porch. (laughs) When I was a kid, I had multiple friends 
porches I would hang out on and sure. watch movies. They were cold sometimes, but we, we still watched movies. Usually watched inside the home. Hmm. Not, uh, cl- not classically not in this situation. In, in like suburban America, often there's a people have a den, right? Like that's sure. a room in the house. Mm. You got mm. a, a TV in there, maybe a couch or two. That's not that wasn't your vibe. Nope. And so these uh movies when like again, when I have the option mm. to pick. I like have always just wanted to pick the movies that I had on VHS or I would watch all the time that have just this like porch vibe. Here, here's I, a question I've, yeah. I've never thought to ask. I don't think. Were you running like an extension cable through the window indoors yeah. out to the porch? Or maybe or there's there an outside on, outlet. That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. There's an outlet. outlet. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I no but still, either way. I was just curious. The yeah. lighting and the uh, the audio situation strike me as you know, like you know, maybe maybe you get some sunlight on that that cathode TV, you're you're not going to see the screen too well. I mean, it was more that we didn't have any uh, anywhere else we could watch the the movie. Sure, <laughs> it was really yeah. it. Okay. You know, the the parents would be in the room, and we would like right. have nowhere else to go. I mean, you weren't going to watch Stargate with a couple cops looking over your shoulder. Yeah, definitely not. Parents are the ultimate narcs. They wouldn't They're get take started. our candy. No way, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so as you, as Griffin was sort of saying, like a lot of the things you've chosen have been comedies. You know, obviously right. endlessly rewatchable. We love a comedy. Yeah. And King Ralph has sort of been promised for a long time. That's always oh. been the hopper as a future Ben's choice. We've it's our waiting it for Godot. For years, for right. sure. Waiting for but there Ralph. was the question. We were looking at the slot and we went, is it finally time for King Ralph? And then you threw out Stargate and we sort of stroked our chins and went, that's kind of an interesting new angle. Like yeah. that's that's sort of a new expansion because at the time, Assassin's Creed felt like a complete left field oddball pick, <laughs> right. especially right. because it's a modern one, because it's an <laughs> HBO go at night yeah. while your girlfriend sleeps movie right. rather than a Ben Porch classic. Yeah, and I kind of jump around. I mean, I get to curate how I want, but I feel like we're taking it in this direction that's going to be a little bit more like TNT in the middle of the day, you know, you're on summer break kind of movie. We've we've covered a lot of TBS films, and now we need to like (laughs) build a wing onto the Ben's Choice Museum that is the TNT films. (laughs) Yes. Assassin's Creed in another universe would have been a 90s TNT staple. 100%. Yeah. And it has the same vibe as um Stargate in that it like it has a hint of conspiratorial nonsense. I right? was gonna say. I was and gonna then, say this, you know, that this has the ancient aliens, that has the sort of like Knights Templar kind of thing. But it's the same thing where it's kind of like something that a Wikipedia article could like plant a seed for you to <laughs> then like think like <laughs> well, script. the thing is society is actually, you know, right. run by aliens. <laughs> Because you often mock us for liking sci-fi. When this podcast started and it was about Star Wars, you were like, I don't get it. I don't understand why these nerds like this thing so much. So I was somewhat yeah. surprised hearing that you loved both Assassin's Creed and Stargate so much. I had not seen either movie until forced to watch them for <laughs> your episodes. And yeah. in both cases, like two minutes in, I was like, oh, I get this because this is like the kind of sci-fi 
Ben would have read in a zine. Like, this is that yeah. kind of... Okay, yeah. There's no machine guns in Star Wars. Right. And I, I think the other aspect of it is, David, as you pointed out, Stargate has the ancient aliens thing going on. Right. But it really has the action Bronson watches ancient aliens on Viceland vibe. Yeah. That's the real, yeah. that's the added element it needs to push it over the edge to being a Ben's choice. You know what I mean? Uh, it feels like a conversation starter oh, yes, for, for yes. Ben as a teenager, yes. right? You watch Stargate, you come out of that being like, I never thought about those dang pyramids. <laughs> like, what's going on with that? It's, it's anarchist cookbook sci-fi. Oh, man. I was so into, like, ancient Egypt and, like, tombs. What a surprise. Like, tombs. mummies. <laughs> it was, like, definitely peak, like, getting into that stuff. And because, like, also is into aliens, too. And, like, mm, right. it, I, you know, sure. I've said on this podcast, I right. want to be abducted <laughs> right now. I've always wanted to be like abducted. if right now you're the the roof you're under just ripped off <laughs> and like a tractor beam grabbed you. I would love you, it. Ben would be like the kid in the movie, just like use yes, my body for thousands of years. Right for it. I gotta say though, Ben, this is actually pretty much an ideal time to get abducted by aliens. It's uh, true. I mean, I we're talking mid-April 2020. I would love to be pulled off of this planet. Man, imagine leaving my house. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I don't think the virus has spread to spaceships, right? Well, we don't know, though. We don't well, know. No, but come on. Started Instead it. of your apartment, you're on an alien spaceship? Yeah. Cool. I, I would not resist at all. All right. You've got... Ancient Egypt, right? Mummies. Check. You got aliens. So this movie is bridging those two things and it has a Stargate in it. Yeah, it's, bridge, it's bridging <laughs> them with a wormhole. Well, no. Stargate should be in more movies. Well, yeah. This is See, crazy. I think this is an interesting point you're making, Ben, because there are many movies with aliens. There are many movies that cover ancient Egypt in some capacity. Yeah, sure. There are a smaller section of movies that overlap the two, but there is yeah. literally no movie other than Stargate, that covers all three circles in the Venn diagram. That is ancient Egypt, aliens, and a Stargate. You are correct that this is a cinematic dead end in, in that way. There should, I want there to be like portals as a genre. Mm. Like a Netflix portal movies. Ben, can I ask, uh, were you someone who was already into the idea of like, how did the pyramids get here? Ancient age right. aliens before this movie, or was this movie kind of an activation point into that sort of level of theorization? Activation. Cool. Yeah. Cause I mean, you were pretty young. Did you see this in 10. the theaters? No, I saw this no. on the porch. This was STP for you, <laughs> straight to porch. A, the premiere for you was <laughs> straight to porch. A porch premiere. On a porch. <laughs> I yeah, definitely yeah. saw this in theaters. I was really? old. I was I was eight years old. I was definitely it was I was old enough to now have an interest in, you know, like moderate action, right? You know what That's I mean? Crazy. Like not, nothing too intense. So you and your family walked out of your Upper West Side apartment and walked to what? The Lowe's 84th Street? I mean, Lincoln Square yeah. 68? You nailed it. It was 1994, my friend. Okay, cool. Well, this, yep. we're on the same page. Of course, you grew up in New York City and you saw the movie in New York City and that's all I was trying to say. Because I think Star Trek Generations is also 94, right? Or is that 95 okay. maybe? No, that's 94 as well. Those are like the early this, Star Trek Generations, the early blockbusters I can remember, like action movies that mm. I can remember seeing in theaters and as a kid being kind of like, oh, this is a lot. Like there's mm. guns, 
There's explosion. Like, you know, you know, it was it was the sort of the next step up from your Disney. Did, did you guys fair. notice the reload, the cocking sound effects in this movie are amazing. Uh, They're so present fair. and loud. They're mixed so loud. It's perfect. And they sure. sound so fake. It's like out of a video game. I mean, God. when you're a kid and you're like pretending to have a gun, that is a clot, right? You really sell <laughs> yeah. the cocking of a gun. <laughs> yeah. Can, can we say that this movie has a very strange relationship to guns? Oh, like this, sure. This is yes. when Roland Emmerich hasn't quite figured out how to do the like melodramatic uh, human emotional storyline. You don't think it's close to the Iron Giant at all? I I just think I I love he makes that they, the barest effort and then he sort of forgot about at the it. beginning right because yeah, like exactly with, day he nails it can I say yes. that's like my favorite part of the whole movie they're like that guy's a little nuts what's up with him uh, kid shot himself oh, <laughs> I was gonna say that's where I go into like this is a bad impression of Spielberg stuff because yes. you have like this uh. moment this sequence that's entirely visual where it's like wife looking out the smoking window smoking a cigarette like at the kitchen counter military right. man come in can we talk to him you can try okay good that's actually good you're telling us a lot in one line right. of dialogue this guy He's is got long gone. hair right then we cut there long hair He's staring off, looks despondent. Photo of the sun. He's holding the holding gun. Holding a gun. Right. You're like, okay, I'm I'm getting a vibe Jesus. of what's going on here. There's some pieces to be filled in, but I at least have a sense of who this character is. And it's right. mostly being conveyed visually and through energy. And then the two military guys go to the car and they're like, what happened to that guy? And they're like, you didn't hear? Sun shot himself in the head with a gun. Now he's broken. Too bad. Probably no coming back. Like they have the one scene where they're trying to like explain it yes. subtly. And right. then yep. the following scene, they just walk out. Just say it out loud. Fully list his character biography as if it's on the back of a trading card. Good thing we're sending him on a mission where he yes, might blow yes. something up and then, not care yes. about his wife because what's there to live for anymore anyway, right? Yeah. Not to spoil the movie. But after that, it's not spoken of again until basically right at the end, James Spader's like, are you good? And he's like, yeah, I am good. And it's like that. You're like, this is it. All he needed was a little Stargate trip to clear his head out. Well, he needed to hand a machine gun to a child. I know. And I know. Like, I know. This he, all worked out. I know he, he finds a new son or, you know, at the other end of the galaxy. Knowing that this movie deals with like uh, alternate uh, dimensions and all this sort of shit, when it goes from here, shaggy haired Kurt Russell despondent with the gun, looking like he's on the verge of committing suicide himself, to then two scenes later, he shows up, world's crispest uh, 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 haircut, like completely together, man on a mission, all business. I was like, is this an alternate reality version? Does Kurt Russell play two different characters in this movie? And he just seems super high functioning, if a little bit impersonal for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And then there's like the one scene where he overreacts to the boy taking the gun. Yeah. He does give a kid a cigarette. Gives a kid a cigarette. Doesn't want the kid to have a gun. That's good. That's good lessons. And then there's the moment when they sneak into the temple and he just goes like fucking full Rambo with like the gun hidden under. Yeah. <sighs> Take us through the plot of Stargate. Ben. Man, are we all hyped or what? This yeah. movie, man. Very, very, very exciting movie. A lot oh. of fresh and provocative ideas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like Stargates, for example. Such yeah. as Stargates. Such yes. as or Stargate. Einstein, Rosen, Bridges. What's that? 
It's forming an Einstein-Rosen bridge, which is basically what we would think of as a, as a wormhole. That's not canon, oh. David. Okay, call her okay. Stargate. Please call by its proper name. David, okay, I do want to ask, because I feel like maybe you want to get into like the writing or pre-production of it, or should we just get into the plot? I'll just sort of throw out that when I was 10, I was thinking about it, right? Because that's how about how old I would have been in 94. Sure. I was definitely into stealing basketball cards. <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. I, I knew you were going to say that. It was so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like the kind of kid that had pegs on my BMX and I would like- okay. You know, ride around on that and cause. Yeah, you're like, the kind you know, of kid damage. I was scared of. Yes, I, I understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, yeah. yeah, it was just a good time. Like I look back on all this finally hanging out in the woods, getting up to uh, no good. Oh, sure. you know, uh, this is what I wanted to talk about. You guys ever ring the doorbell and run away? Uh, no, uh, not You've really. Ding donged and ditched. No. It always oh. seemed like a very low reward situation. No, it, it is always so good. Anyway, that was the kind of stuff I was up to when I was 10. Um, Ben, I will say the, the origin of this movie, if that's what you're asking for in terms of context, seems to be that Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich really wanted to make a franchise. They had proven yes. themselves uh, with Universal Soldier that Roland Emmerich had made a bunch of German films before that that Dean Devlin was the key to him getting into the American studio system and that he was sort of the nerdy sci-fi guy. They designed this to be a trilogy. That was always their intention. They wanted this to be their Star Wars. They thought this was going to be like the table setting for their money franchise. Um, Anytime there's a successful movie, and especially when a movie spawns a whole media franchise like Stargate has with multiple TV shows, Mm. uh, there is almost always someone who comes out of the woodwork and says, uh, I wrote this movie 15 years before they made the movie. Like, you know, Finding Nemo becomes the highest grossing animated film of all time. Someone goes, I sent a spec script to Disney in 1984 that had a fish in it. Clearly, I wrote this movie. And then right. the case is thrown out. Yeah. There is a guy who showed up sometime in the late 90s with evidence that he had directly shown a script to Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich called Egyptscape. Hey. Who was himself a very big sort of conspiracy theory, I think, scientist nerd. Sure. And I believe the case was settled out of court. It seems that perhaps. Yes, his name was Omar Judy. It was settled, so we don't know exactly what the terms were. But but very often, especially with big studios behind it, uh, these cases will get dismissed. And the fact that there yeah. was a settlement points towards the fact that maybe some yeah. guy yeah, showed them a concept that did not work as a script. That was right. maybe a little too heady that they ran with and yeah. turned into Stargate. He sued them for $140 million and it was settled out of court for 50 grand. Okay. All right. So they didn't give him much. They didn't give okay. him much. He didn't even get a Stargate out of it. He didn't. Yeah. He should have. Because I, I can only imagine how much money Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin have made off of this script, considering all the TV spinoffs and all that. I was doing that math as well. There are a few cases in which I think someone, because of the nature of how this movie was made, because of the fact that no one thought that it was going to spawn a franchise like this, it was a French co-production. They sold distribution to American studios later. I have to imagine they have such a good piece of Stargate as a property. And then you go like 10 years of the first show, like five years of Atlantis, a season or two of Universe, and then an animated one. 
Yeah. Plus, like, all the merchandise and whatever. Like, if they had never done anything again for the rest of their careers, they would be living insanely well off of just Stargate. Right, right. right. You started to tell us, David, about what the shows were like. Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, we can delve into that. Well, I mean, uh, this movie comes out in 94, and Stargate SG-1 debuts in 97. Obviously, Kurt Russell was replaced with MacGyver, uh, Richard Dean Anderson. This became Richard Dean Anderson's post-MacGyver cash cow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone else was replaced mostly by guys you've never, you know, like sort of randos, right? It was a Canadian, one of those shows that had a lot of say. Canadian stuff going on. I like guess all French Canada. stayed on. Um, wait, who stayed on? What? French Stewart. French Stewart did in- not stay on. No, his character no. is replaced uh, and renamed. Um, everyone, everyone is replaced. Oh, he's in Stargate Universe. I'm sorry. He played yeah. Dr. Andrew Covell in Stargate Universe. Alliance. Is that a different he, character? It, it must be because, wow. uh, yeah, came around. Because, yeah, his character is a recurring, a, a, a regular character on uh, SG-1, I guess, the, the original Stargate TV show. Right. The guy he is, is, is a, yeah, a recurring character. I think. And I it's know. just basically their military has this gate and they keep right. going it's like, to what the if same. The gate's like, still planet? there. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, uh, and it's connected to a network of gates now. Sick. There's many other star gates. The whole Milky Way is littered with them. Whoa. And so they can go all over the place fighting. That's Egypt smart. aliens. There's various gods. More gates. Yeah, but like there's all kinds of gods, like, you know, who are other Egyptian gods, right? And it's like there's a whole expansive universe of, you know, infighting within the alien races and all that. There's other aliens that eventually show up. I mean, it ran for 10 seasons, 214 episodes. It mostly, it began on Showtime and used to be kind of like hyper violent, not hyper, but it was more like R rated. Yeah, and then it moves to the Sci-Fi Channel and becomes a little more anodyne. But then there's Atlantis. Which then there's Atlantis. S- five seasons. Be, I, insane. Seems to be doing what Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin had always planned to do with the sequels. What they said was they want to make a trilogy where each one would be discovering a new Stargate, a new kind of mythology, right? Tied to a different culture, a right. different sort of myth. This is so like real. Atlantis is Atlantis like what's is another real. thing. Okay. Well, this is the, but but the but how what happened all of that stuff. Their big goal was we want to make a trilogy of films that will ultimately connect it all mythologies to uh, say that yes. they all were the byproduct of aliens coming here early right, on yes. in human civilization. Um, and then so yeah, so Stargate Atlantis, they find like an Atlantis Stargate, and it goes to Atlantis, and Jason Momoa plays an Atlantean, and there's all kinds of other fun stuff. It was like that, and Baywatch Hawaii were the two things that made him. He was for so long like a kind of like king of syndication actor. Yeah. So do we have this movie to thank for Aquaman? Basically, kind of, In kind of. And then you have Stargate Universe, uh, in which they're on a spaceship. That's lost in an unknown mm. era of the universe. And I guess it must have a Stargate too. I don't know. And that had Robert Carlyle and Ming-Na. Stargate Universe was the other two shows had ended and they were like, okay, now we're going to make a big budget one. Like this franchise has clearly proven itself. Can we make the breakthrough show that becomes like a mainstream success? 
and let's get really big name actors in all the parts. And it got canceled after one season because it was too expensive. Two, two, <laughs> two seasons. It did two. Sorry. But yes, I mean, right. If you're working at a higher budget, you're going to be, you got to, you know, you can't just skirt by. But there's also an animated series that is out of canon. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Stargate Infinity or something like that. It's an yeah. idea that has legs. And the reason yeah, because is because anything can be beyond those Stargates. It's so good. And now I want to throw this out as just a thought experiment. Okay. Sure. Okay. Like, did they work from just writing like Stargate on a board? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, Probably. that's where the writing process started. <laughs> I think it looked like James Spader's chalkboard at the beginning of this movie. I think it started with a board where they were just writing all these ancient Egyptian symbols. I mean, let me here's take my it. I- well, okay, here's my ahead, idea. Ben. Go ahead, Ben. Star blank. Mm. Uh-huh. If you just start there, I'm, I swear to God, like we could, you could like make 20 movie ideas out of just that process. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Star jail. <laughs> Boom. You've got a, like a space prison break movie you know what i'm saying ben, ben you should I mean, watch yeah you'd love lockout ben you would love lockout lockout is unfortunately called lockout but it should be called space jail it and should. like that's about someone who's escaping from space jail but ben i'm doing you a mitzvah right now yeah lockout is guy pierce playing snake Pliskin. it's a hundred percent Stolen beat for beat that character. Cool. And it's rather than having to get the president out of New York, he has to get the president's daughter out of a space jail. Yeah, she's in a space jail. (laughs) As you're saying, Ben, like imagine it's 1990, I don't know, three, right? Like Mm. you're in Mm. your movie multiplex. Mm. You see a poster. Mm. Okay. The poster is the Great Pyramid of Giza. (laughs) Fine. Cool. With a portal hovering above it that's like beaming alien energy at it. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the build stars are Kurt Russell and James Spader, which but is no actor faces pyra- on no, the No, no faces. No, it's just right. portal pyramid. Like those right. are your two things we're working with. Because right. you see Spader um, first build and you go, is this an erotic drama? And then you see Kurt Russell and you go, is this like a stripped down action film? Right. And I guess it's Kurt the, first build. But Kurt is first build. Kurt is wow. first build. You're not looking at the actors. You're like Stargate. No, but if you cast your eyes to the top of the poster, though, you would be like, James Spader. Like, I mean, what yeah. was James Spader's biggest movie before this? He was not a box office guy. I mean, he was an esoteric no, he's, actor. He's he always seemed to resist being pigeonholed as a conventional leading man. Um, He played creeps and weirdos. Anyway, and then... Right. And then Tagline, pretty good. It, it will take you a million light years from home, but will it bring you back? It's a big question. I mean, yeah, pretty great. But it's just confusing considering that you're seeing a pyramid where you're like, well, that's on Earth. It's just a lot of questions. I just think it's a, an, an eye-catching image, right? Yeah. Yes. Can, can I just say quickly before we get back onto the plot of the movie, because mm. I was trying to make sense of the, the extended Stargate universe. Um, right. Carries over the characters, right? Spader and French Stewart and Kurt Russell's characters into the original TV show, but all of their names are changed. And some of them, it's like, oh, O'Neill is spelled with two L's instead of one L. Or some of them are like, we changed his name from Dave to Jack. Well, I think it was also because they didn't want to step on Emmerich and Devlin's toes. Like, 
MGM wanted to milk this property, and the two of them had gone on to Independence Day and Godzilla, and it seemed like they weren't going to make a Stargate 2 anytime soon. But they also didn't want to negate anything that those guys might do in Stargate 2. So there's this weird degree of plausible deniability of like, well, maybe this is a different character. He's almost exactly the same, except his name is spelled with one different letter. And then in like 2008, Emmerich and Devlin were like, I think we're finally ready to make Stargate 2. And yeah. it's going to take place in a way that it doesn't negate the TV series. It will fit in between Stargate and the TV series. Then it never came about. And then like another seven or eight years later or 10 yeah. years later, like 2018, they announced full reboot. Emmerich's going to direct it. It's planning to be a trilogy. And then it also never happened. But in both in the first case, Russell and Spader were on board. I mean, sure. Why not? Can I read you guys the quote from James Spader about why he chose to do this film? Uh, It says he admitted he did the film for money and he found the script to be awful. He said, acting for me is a passion, but it's also a job. And I've always approached it as such. I have a certain manual laborer's view of acting. There's no shame in taking a film because you need some fucking money. Wait, so I can't quite tell if he's saying that uh, this was a pay job for him. (laughs) Very subtle. (laughs) Well, you know the other incredible paycheck story about this movie, right? Jay Davidson, unknown model, is spotted at a party, cast in the crying game, right? A role that necessitates a completely unknown actor because the twist is predicated on you not knowing the gender of the actor. Right. So, uh... A crying game comes out, becomes a sensation. Jay Davidson gets nominated for best supporting actor. Through the process of making one movie and the ensuing sort of media like uh, uh, excitement and an yep. Oscar campaign and all of that, Jay Davidson is like, I don't like movies. I don't like fame. I'm out of this. I'm back to being a model. I have no interest in the film industry. No interest in being an actor anymore after having one of the most celebrated debut performances uh, in decades. He's so good. In um, Agreed. In both this and The Crying Game. <laughs> so doesn't make another movie. And then Roland Emmerich reaches out and is like, you have to play Ra. This is like, you have the otherworldly sort of presence that I need for this character coming in in the last 30 minutes. You need to make, I need someone like you to make that much of an impact with the limited screen time. And Jay Davidson doesn't want to do the film so badly that he just goes, I'll ask for a million dollars. And then they won't give it to me. And then I'll be able to say, well, I, I would have done it so that, you know, people don't get mad at me. And Roland Emmer calls his bluff and Jay Davidson gets paid one million dollars for yep. Stargate and then never appears in a movie ever again. Two <laughs> feature films. One of yep. them gets him an Oscar nomination. The second one, he gets a million dollars for probably 12 minutes of screen time. Well, yeah. Never well, also, again. That's when you hang it up. Once you're in Stargate, yep. you're yep. done. You're done. <laughs> You're done. Perfect career. Two for two. Yeah. I would also like to point out the whole trivia page is just Jay Davidson fucking hates this. He also yeah. hated his costume so much that at the final cut of his final scene that he had to shoot, yeah. he fully stripped naked on set, like didn't go to his yeah. trailer. And then he retired right after this movie. So his retirement literally just fully nude. Yeah, he's yep. just one of those people who is like, I just don't, I don't like this. I don't like any of this. Nothing horrible happened to me. There's right. no tragic backstory. I just, this Fuck sucks. This, I'm out. Yeah. Making movies sucks. Being in this industry sucks. I got my million dollars. Smell you later, fuckheads. 
Um, the the other wild thing is, do you know who Emmerich's like backup choice was? Who? John Gielgud. Oh so he God. was like, if Jay won't do it, I'm zagging. I'm getting an old guy. I'm going old. <laughs> Um, but it's also but yes. just like was was Jay Davidson's voice dubbed over or just yeah. heavily oh, modulated? Oh, yeah. oh I, I think completely dubbed, right? I mean, it, right. E- either way, you you can't hear like whatever. It's completely right. modulated. I mean, you're, so you're crazily. talking a million dollars for probably twelve minutes of screen time with yeah. dubbed and dialogue. Refused to wear the big. Uh, mask thing because it was too heavy so basically it's just like you know mostly not wearing clothes mostly just on one set saying lines that will be redubbed or whatever cool million great and yet (laughs) i think it's an excellent performance and i think makes the movie i agree i think the movie doesn't work without it i think you could fucking throw kurt russell and james spader in the garbage and replace them with macgyver (laughs) and the muscles guy they got for the tv show the movie would still basically function would not function without jay davidson it it is the best shot in the movie is the reveal of jay davidson is the the cgi like morph Agreed. And it's also one of these weird things. It's almost like the Tommy Lee Jones effect where like if Tommy Lee Jones hates being in your movie, it only makes your performance better. (laughs) Like for what this movie needs from Ra, it helps that Jay Davidson just has such disdain, like general all encompassing disdain Disdain. every moment he's on screen. Total fuck you presence at all I times. What is the right. stupid fucking this movie sucks. I'm in? Even talking to humans just completely grosses me out. Yes. All I want to do is be in my pyramid spaceship and be tended to by my army of eunuchs and otherwise leave me alone. It by complete accident ends up lending the movie an incredible air of legitimacy. Uh, <laughs> the I, thing I agree. That makes the movie feel substantive is that Jay Davidson hates being in this movie. Yeah. Like in the TV show, I believe the alien villains are played by people who like monologue and they have big personalities and all yeah. that. Like they don't do this again. No, they're played by people who want to be acting right. on Stargate, the TV right, right. show. All right. Well, we're close to an hour into the episode, so let's get into the plot. Okay. <laughs> sure, of course. Wait, look, you said you said that you were a connoisseur of context. You want some context, oh, Ben? No, I thought it was great. Be careful I mean, we what got you wish it, for. We covered so much territory. Yeah. Ding dong and ditching. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. We already sort of talked about the beginning of the movie, which starts off strong. Mm. We learn a little bit about Kurt Russell's character, in which his son was. I, I, wanna say, shoot I, I want to say I watched the director's sad. cut on mm. uh, my, my my Blu-ray. I was trying which, to find it. Yeah, which has the first scene of Ra being abducted. Oh, uh, the director's cut it's, restructures it. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It doesn't really change anything, and I don't think it's really necessary. No, this did but, Egypt first. Just the little white girl discovering and stealing a necklace. Right, right. But yes, instead, right. Ben, we see the the discovery of a Stargate. Someone digs one up or digs up a You got a, a real thingy. Indiana Jones opening. Yes. They're, they're, it's dusty. They found this circular thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they're, they're picking it up. It's our Stargate, okay? Fuddy-duddy archaeologist. And there's a, yeah. And there's a little girl, mm-hmm. okay? And she's got a locket, Okay. Boom, fast forward. She's old now. <laughs> You're not wrong. And she's going to see Spader just bomb hard. Okay. Can I say, has any movie centered around an old lady holding on to a <laughs> necklace for decades I don't not, know. not fucking been a home run? 
<laughs> Every movie should open or end with the reveal of someone holding onto a necklace forever. So everyone walks out because they don't believe in the truth, which is that aliens built the pyramids. Sure. <laughs> They're all like, right. There's so also so many movies that have that in the early where it's like a scientist is like, but my papers and everyone's like, no, 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 you're, you're a crackpot. Like, we'll never listen to you. This is a time where if you were into conspiracy stuff, like obviously the internet was like, I think kind of around, but it's like, you really had to hunt for all that trashy kind of stuff. You know well, what I mean? Is, well, no, this was right when Al Gore invented the Stargate website. So the internet oh, was really right. just forming at the time of this release. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, the old woman talks to him, and, and you know, like in this really fun, great setup where it's like raining hard, you know, and right. he's all like got his papers and stuff. That's fun, you know? <laughs> It is sure. it is a storytelling trope I love, which is very, very passionate, intellectual, is constantly laughed at and dismissed by everybody. And then right. there's just some quiet benefactor standing in the back, not showing any support of their theories, but then inviting them into their expensive car once they're leaving the building. Yeah, because yeah, there's actually, yeah, there's some there's some shit going on. Like, yeah. you know, this. Yeah. He's not, some people know he's not such a crackpot. Right, but she's not, she doesn't want anyone else to notice that she knows that he's not a crackpot. She's trying to keep a lid on, so she just quietly stands in the back, and then when everyone else is gone, she waits patiently in the car to invite him in and go like, you're fucking on the right track. And also, your life's a fucking mess, and you have no other choice but to do this project for me. And also, hold my necklace. Does she give him him her necklace? Yeah. Yes. What he's about to go through the gate. Okay. Right. I but okay, boom. Now we're in a military base, all right? And they meet Richard Kind and the gang. Oh, my God. Yeah, God. Richard Kind. Oof. Not enough of him. <laughs> no. He's so good. Looking very svelte. A svelte yeah, kind. Definitely. And, and yeah. this is a movie where, that really proves it's cruel to be kind because he is so dismissive of James Spader <laughs> Without reason, because James Spader fucking takes him to school. He corrects he his entire translation on his first crack. Right, which I love when a character comes in and people have been working for years and he just <laughs> nails it right away. Yeah. That rules. Because you're like, oh man, well, of course, this guy's the best. Right. right. That's just good storytelling. And and Kind has that energy of like, uh, uh, good luck, son. I, I worked through every possible angle mm -hmm. of this thing. There's right. nothing you can do. And then James Spader is like, let me just see Stargate eat my <laughs> farts. And I think uh, the best symbol to use would be the one that looks like a pyramid. Is, is there one that's maybe pyramid-y? <laughs> <laughs> We've never thought of that. They had Egyptologists, right, who worked on the movie to make sure that all the like uh, the the hieroglyphics and the language are are relatively accurate. Hmm. Well, this movie is hard sci-fi, yeah. Okay, and so then you also though you have Kurt Russell coming in, taking over, right? You know, he's got a new haircut. His life's totally together now. Now he's all together. He's in he military mode. Yeah. Cut his yeah. hair. Doesn't look and like such a damn hippie anymore. No. And he's not He's not sad. He's just like extremely stoic. Very focused. <laughs> and 
I mean, you know, there's just going to be some back and forth between him and the old lady. I don't even remember what they really talk about. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, all this setup, I will say, to the movie's credit, they zip through. Yeah, it's It's good. pretty quick to let's turn the Stargate on and then let's go through the Stargate. <laughs> right. If you're like me and you have ADD, you're like, hell yeah, let's just keep on rolling. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. So I feel like the one thing I want to mention with sort of the vibe of the military in being involved in this project, you know, because like Area 51, as we all know, is a place where aliens are being stored currently. Right. Currently. They're on ice. Or do you think they're like walking around? I think they like are wearing lab coats and working at computers. Yeah. The only person on ice is Austin Powers. So, Ben, do you remember when there was that? Was it last year? It feels so long ago when all the teens were going to Naruto run at Area 51. Yeah, I wanted to go. Where it was like, we know it's near here. Let's all yeah, meet at this point on the go. map and then we'll just Naruto one run. And the military had to be like, please don't do that. We're going to be obligated to shoot you. <laughs> Like, the military had to be like, we all appreciate a good joke. (laughs) But, David, 2019 was also, like, our world is so insane right now. 2019 was a year in which the New York Times and, like, three or four separate articles have confirmed that there have been alien spacecrafts on the planet. And, like... It's just getting buried under like tr- like whatever Trump just said. Like yeah, I know it was wild. This is right, happening. Like, right. Trump would be like, right, Kofi V and everyone would be like, what does it mean? And then the Navy would be like, here's some videos of spaceships probably. I don't know. <laughs> you check them out. Yeah. <laughs> Can I say I have a friend who was uh, friends. I have a friend who was oh, abducted. Jealous. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who um, had told me uh, hey, I just got like the biggest tip of my life. New York Times is going to break a story next week that will actually right. change the world. And I was right. like, oh, is like, is there some crazy like movie news coming out? Is someone about to be like canceled? Is there some scandal? And he was like, no, you cannot even comprehend. I cannot tell you anymore, but I just have a friend who's working on the story and it's going to drop this week and it will actually change the world. And he sent me the link when the first government acknowledges an unexplainable UFO phenomenon. Here's the record of all these times that like fighter pilots have seen spaceships and shit. And he was like, boom. And then I just saw the world not really react (laughs) to it. And then for six months after that, like every couple of weeks, they would drop another little story. And it would just be like, oh, yeah, no, okay, yeah, no, I guess aliens It was because the New York Times wrote about it in that way where it was like video, comma, purports to show, you know, like, and everyone was like, what is this about, like, taxes or something? Not interested. (laughs) 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 Like, they took it too seriously. You had senators being accused of being sleepy and low energy all the time, so that had to make the front page. That's true. That's true. Marco Rubio did sit in a big boy chair and he is a little baby boy. And we needed to talk (laughs) about that a lot. Top story. Yeah. So, all right. All of this to say that the military always looks at like the presence of aliens as a threat. Mm. Okay. Yep. Which is like this trope that I feel like, like why is the military always trying to like make a situation bad? Do you know? 
Um, uh, well, wait, what do you I, mean? Like, you mean they find a Stargate and they, they they're always they like, don't sorry, like, how can we be bad? You know what I mean? Like, it's like alien technology. How can we be bad? Like, I think it provides good dramatic conflict within a movie, interesting, within a sci-fi I mean, movie that you always need to have a believer and a skeptic. Mm. Yeah, and it's also, in movies, the skeptic tends to be someone who wants to bomb them to <laughs> death. God. To address your question seriously, like, and I think this is very easily documented, like post Vietnam for a good twenty years, the military is is a totally suspicious entity in movies, like, and The Rock is sort of at the peak of that, where The Rock is basically about the military being like, we never got over Vietnam, so we yeah. will occupy The Rock. Right. There's just such massive distrust at anything the military says is necessary. Right, and they're shitty at their jobs, and like you say, they're always like. And also maybe, well, what if we like snuck a nuke through the Stargate? I don't know. Maybe that's a fun idea. <laughs> like, you know, like they're like in Armageddon. I mean, there's a there's a nuke on the space shuttle and everyone's. Well, actually, no, they're going to blow up. The, all right. Forget. I take that back. Take that back. Oh, no, it's right. The, the line in Armageddon that I love is when William Fickner has the gun and Will Patton says, what are you doing with a gun in space? <laughs> it's a great line. But Stargate also, it's just like, they don't lay out the track. They just sort of go like, here's a bunch of military dudes acting really sketchy. They're really cold to James Spader. There's clearly something that they're doing that's fucked up. And they like they only know how to blow things up. It's the same with Independence right, right. Day, where they're like, right. let's nuke the aliens. We'll nuke them, that'll do it. It's both not really a plot twist and also not really established. It's just kind yeah, of it, like, you have to know that their motivations are bad and you hope yeah. that Kurt Russell will see the light by the end of the movie because you want to be rooting for that guy. But yeah. you're right, it's barely a fight. They're just kind of like... Barely. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they I mean, they are like hoping that Spader is going to be the guy who helps them get through the Stargate. They don't want him to go yeah. with them. But yeah. Spader kind of makes his case for I'm probably the only guy who could help you get back out. Yeah, but he's he's a bit of a sneaky boy about it. Let's well, be he honest. really is. He's sneaking <laughs> yeah. into the fucking box at the Barclays Center. So, all right, let's just go over some of the stuff leading up to them going in the Stargate. We'll get it over really quick. Great tech. <laughs> Like great screens, great like even the Good Mac screens. sort of like movie mm-hmm. moving yeah. thing looks great and like really is effective. Uh, I wanted to talk about he gets the locket right before he goes in, which is an important thing for later when they get through the Stargate. Um, well, there's nothing. There's nothing you else that's really very crucial, right? He just finds what the seventh symbol is, and that unlock turns it on. I do on. like that everything is like vibrating, and like they're like we've only gotten to six, like as right, it right. steps up. I, I remember as they like now. poke a button. So I think it's cool how he's all he's into all these like dead languages and stuff. That's something that I've always felt like would be cool to know or study, but then it's like study. I'm not going to do that. So I just wanted to mention. I think that's cool. Oh, sure. Right. You should learn uh, Aramaic, Ben. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, man. you got time. I do have time. That's true. I could get Rosetta Stone for that. Yeah. Um, You're going to need we... the real Rosetta Stone. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about the moment when I saw it? And I imagined must have instantly transformed this movie from a one-time porch watch to a Ben Hosley porch classic. Mm. I would say, I want to say Forky also, while we were watching this, was like, man, this is a real Ben joint. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was very obvious. <laughs> Go ahead, Griffin. And then said trash. Um, yeah, of course. 
the the moment where I went this, I understand its gold label status in the Porch Classics collection <laughs> is the visualization of traveling through the Stargate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the, like, like, like Science Center, Planetarium opening. Right in the abyss. The yeah. Best. Yeah, this the is best. some real like Encarta, you know, like I, I, oh my, I, I exactly. Yes, it's it's a CD-ROM version of the final flight sequence from 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> it's like you could say it's like I don't know vaporwave or something. Uh, oh, maybe maybe a, a a tad vapor. Yeah, right. I didn't think about this as like the fountain of vaporwave. Yeah, exactly. Even just like the poster aesthetically feels like that. Yeah, I mean the Stargate itself looks like a vaporwave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which also that the graphics on that too is so of its time, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. all right, so let's just get into it. They're going through. They've got some little droid boy going ahead, mm-hmm. and then they're they're. I mean, which is it feels kind of crazy how little setup they have, other than him just being like, "Well, I am a sneaky boy, and I have to go." And they're like, "All right," and now we're going in. They let him enter the Stargate like 30 minutes after meeting him and bringing him to see the Stargate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If if that. He's right. like, I don't know, you're going to need some kind of symbol. They're like, he nailed it. Let's take him to the Stargate right now. Right. They're like, th- this military like troop, they have their bags packed. They show up every morning at 8 a.m. ready to walk through the Stargate. And they're like, just let me know if you figure out that code. <laughs> James Spader shows up, he cracks it, and they're like, we're good to go. Do you want to come with us? We have, like, yeah, right. just any calls you have to make, get them done we'll in the next five minutes. Chair. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so we get to see them unlock, like, the coolest thing ever, which is a Stargate. They unlock the gate. They unlock the do. gate. That's true. The Stargate. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. They override Mark Maron's wishes. and unlock. He hates this film. <laughs> He finds it offensive. And they get out on the other side and sort of like a, a very much a representation of my current sort of journey. Now they're in this arid desert alien land. <laughs> right. They they move through the wet into the dry. Yeah, into right. the dry. It's so striking. It's yeah. like it really the light of it just brings this whole new energy. Okay. And now you're like, cool. They're on a new friggin' planet that has oxygen. Like what's yeah. going on here? Right. They go from thinking, oh, this is just uh, a, a weird alien planet to then recognizing, oh, my God, these are what they think the ruins of a long gone civilization. Yeah. They think they're entering into ruins. But in, in actuality, it's like a whole new planet. Uh, and with like human beings that have evolved in their own way and they have like this dead language. It's just like. It's so exciting. Man, I would love to do something like this. To go through uh, a Stargate and find yourself on yeah. a, another galaxy's planet I just wanted with a lot of clarification. Where right. humans have been um, stolen. Yes. The idea is right that, that, that Ra was taking humans from our planet and putting yes. them here, right? Yeah. yeah. From, from an actual ancient planet. Egypt. Yes. And they've been stuck and here. And then Egypt ever started since. to right. fight back, and he was like, all right, well, I'm going to keep closing these the guys Stargate. On this right. Side. Right. 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 Yeah. right. right. But but he has suppressed them so that they have never evolved past the ancient Egypt. He, he has outlawed mindset. writing. Yes, right, right. right. But right. Um, but you got that cut like as they're emerging, where you see the pyramid, and then behind it, you got all the moons. You got three moons, baby. Three. Yeah, 
Not so you one. know this different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. right. All right. And it's a it's a pretty arresting image. I do like yeah. it. It does I, look. Cool. I I've seen one moon. I've even seen two suns, but three moons. Now right. I've seen everything. It's the rule threes, baby. Three yep. moons. Ultimate heighten. And so they meet this like alien horse <laughs> in the desert or something. Yeah, and it's so like a like, yarn steed. Yeah. And so it's got a saddle though. Oh man, there's people here. Right? Mm. They they had set up like a base camp, so they split off, right? One fraction stays behind of the military guys, Spader and uh Colonel and like I think two other military dudes, they go and they are gonna investigate some like um tracks or something. Oh, there's the hijink of Spader getting dragged along by the alien horse. An extended, uh, extended This movie's sequence. got such a light touch. A long bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I had to check the credits. I paused it because I went, I thought this was a Roland Emmerich movie, not an Ernst Lubitsch film. It's It's got the, um, the velveteen touch of a dandy fop. Do they ever explain what's up with the alien horse thing? It's just, you know... It's it's an alien planet. Yeah, they want to sell some more I, toys. What do you mean? What explanation do you need? I mean, I, right. I like the look of it. I like that it's a big old puppety thing. That's fun. Yeah, love it. But it is funny that they're like, yeah, these guys are humans. They're stuck here. And also they have alien horses. Anyway. Yeah, Rob probably no, brought it with him from his home planet. I don't know. But why didn't he bring cool. it to Earth? Don't why is he fucking this? skimping on the alien horses for us? David, don't look an alien horse in the mouth, okay? <laughs> it's a gift to us, the viewing public. Listen, we don't yeah. need to know why this planet has the same atmosphere and like oxygen is present. It's like gravity is the same and like Absolutely we can not. just exist right. like we would normally would. We don't need to answer those questions because yeah. this movie's cool, okay? And that's all it's going for. Accept it gladly. And I've kind of skipped over like the trope of like the military uh, at this time, especially as just being like bullies in this specific way, mm-hmm. you know, and they're just being mean to Spader. But I guess none Bunch of that's of jocks. Really important. Yeah, they're such like jocks, man. Yeah, and he gets bullied by French Stewart. <laughs> that, I mean, that should really should we talk burns. about French Stewart? It's completely insane. We have to talk about it's a national emergency. His arms, he has my arms, okay? He's supposed to be in the fucking military and he has my <laughs> level of arms. And he's not an expert in anything. Because then at least I'm like, oh, okay. He's an expert in fucking yap, 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 wine, wine, wine is what he's an expert For in. sure. He yeah. should fucking work in a restaurant all the wine okay. he's doing. Okay. Um, I, it is funny, though, because it's like when French Stewart breaks oh, out with Third Rock from the sun. French oh. Stewart. Oh okay, David God, is David. holding up a bottle David's of... David's doing uh, prop work now. What is that? Pinot Grigio? What are we looking at there? Yeah, it's a Pinot Grigio. It's a big boy. It's a big boy. It's a chungus. David is holding up a chungus of wine. <laughs> I just got a delivery today. Okay. okay. Keep it in your pants. David, could you just come in a little closer? A little closer? I thought that Coming visual real. bit was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, for the listener at home, Ben leaned in really close to his uh, computer screen, uh, thus himself executing a visual bit that will be lost on the audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is good. All right. So we're in the city at some ancient primitive place. 
Um, no one commu- can communicate to each other. So it's going to kind of come through in just like gestures. I wonder if they submitted Stargate for uh, Best Foreign Language Film uh, that <laughs> yeah. year at the Academy Awards. Because it is like 50% in Stargate ease. <laughs> they are they are speaking, as as James Spader later says, like some form of ancient Egyptian. Like some, yeah. some concept of how that might have sounded. Which by the end of the movie, he's like fluent in. When right. he's yeah, he goes into like a hallway with one of the ladies and she's like, you know, this is called this. And he's like, oh, I totally get it. All right. Yeah, I'm give me five now. minutes. All right. So anyway, here's the exposition. Here's how we got his powers. <laughs> yeah. But, the, but they try to, with their fingers, draw symbols in the sand in order to ask them questions and explain where they came from. And they get fucking freaked out. They don't no like way. that. You're not allowed to do that. You can't write. They in- immediately think that they're like kings or something, right? Mm. Or like part, like gods, like in with like by Ra they think they've and been gods. sent by the gods. It's partly because yeah. he's got the uh, the the raw necklace, necklace. Yes, yeah. right from the old lady. And so they also try to. Oh, there's that gross thing where they they offer the woman, which you know, yeah. No good. But Spader's yeah. a gentleman. Yeah, yes. he is. He's a gentleman. Uh, the woman it's, is played by. Uh, let me get this. Uh, Alexis Kruzno. That's that's the boy. No, it's um, uh, uh, M- Millie Avatar. Millie Avatar. Yeah. right. Who is conveniently uh, the whitest person there? She yes. is. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, the female she is, lead is she very, is Israeli very pale with green. She's eyes. Israeli. Yes. Uh, right. Can we talk she, about she, another cast member here, though? Eric Avari. Yes. yes. Who plays sort of the main elder bearded. Yes. 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 He's an right. Indian American actor. Stargadian. Uh, His yeah, kickstarts. What were you going to say, David? No, I, I, I was just going to say he he's he's one of the very few actors to also be in Stargate SG-1 as the same character. Oh, interesting. Yes, but um, you're right. This kickstarts him playing. He's in The Mummy. He has a surprising uh, blockbuster run, Eric Avari. Because yeah. before this, he's like a sitcom actor. He's one of those yeah. guys where they're just like, we will cast you for any ethnicity in a sitcom. Like yes, he himself, in, I believe, is Indian, but they'll yeah, have him play in, Egyptian. They'll have him play right. Hispanic. They'll have him play Middle Eastern. Like they'll do anything, anything, anything. Um, and that's like his zone. He's doing like Seinfeld and Shears and stuff like that. And then it's like Stargate, uh, The Mummy, Planet yeah, well, of the Apes. Mm. Yeah, he's in the Burn Independence remake. Day. Yeah, yes. Mr. Uh, Deeds. Mr. He is Deeds, in yeah. Mr. Deeds. His he's final great. sci-fi blockbuster. He is fucking <laughs> great in The Mummy. He is so good in that movie. Oh, he's so he's good. the guy who's like in the library, who's like, uh, what this book says is bad. Like he's always very, very solemn. Very a lot of a lot of bad news from him. I just yeah. love you look at his career before this and it's like his biggest movie role is in Sino Man and he's mostly a sitcom actor. And then Roland Emmerich casts him in this and people are like, oh, he's really good at bringing gravitas to like it's silly blockbuster like matinee films. And right. then he just has this run where he totally remakes himself as like a genre actor as right. the guy who just like gives the thing the like the grave importance. Uh, what's the other one here? There's an oh oh the thirteenth warrior. Sure, one day we'll do that on the pod. We will one day do that on the pod. Mm-hmm. And then and then in Daredevil he plays Electra's dad. Yeah, uh, and he was in Heroes, right? He played uh, I think uh, the Chandra Suresh. Uh, Chandra Suresh. He played um, 
fucking what? Did no one watch Heroes? He was no, the dad. I, I just remember save the cheerleader, right. save the world, and Zachary Quinto well, was terrifying. You did have to save the cheerleader to save the world, and they did do that. I think I don't remember. And Hero, Hero is the best. So we have Spader and uh, the the female character. What is her name? I'm sorry. Um, the the you mean uh, her name is Shauri. All right. So <laughs> Spader and Shaw break off, <laughs> and. I sort of then feel like we need to introduce now the tribe of kids, the miscreants, who are great. They're designed great. They rule. They seem to have a lot of fun. It's similar to like the Lost Boys in Hook or whatever, right? right? It's like a bunch of cool teens who might as well have skateboards and slingshots or whatever. But because we're (laughs) in ancient Egypt, they're going to have more of an ancient Egypt thing going on. But there's the one who sort of becomes begrudgingly a surrogate son that's to, Alexis to Russell. Russell. Yes. And like, so that's why I was saying like, there is that pairing there. That's going right. to be a running thing throughout right. the movie. He gets to finally offer the parental advice he never got to offer his son, which is uh, don't touch my gun. But like, no, he never got to do that. He never, no, no, don't, no bad. <laughs> yeah. Here, take a cigarette instead. Okay. But I wanted to point this out and we'll just move along. If an alien handed me anything, mm-hmm. I would drink it. <laughs> so if an alien hands you like a glowing blue liquid a chalice okay yeah right yeah right. if he yeah. handed me a floating like like sphere of like liquid smoke i'd just put my head right into it <laughs> okay ben i, I mean this is why the, the hell not yeah ben, this is the ultimate test if you watched before your very eyes unobstructed an alien piss into a glass and then hand it to you no well but how do we know it's pee well, right. that's why I'm asking. That's why I'm asking. Would you take the jump? Maybe You've, it tastes if good. I would, I would try to figure out if they're secreting something for me that's good. You did used to vape a juice that was called alien piss, did you not? That is true. This is canon. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, okay. I had picked that flavor uh, for an ad uh, advertiser we had on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great flavor, but uh, no, I don't think I would drink alien pee. Okay, so there's one thing you wouldn't drink if an alien yeah. handed it to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, anything else. I'm okay. Down. I'm good. Okay. All right. Glad we clarified. So, I'm glad we did too. So, all right. Uh, I feel like now it's just going to basically come down to Spader has to figure out the the like one missing symbol right. Right, right to get them right. back yeah he's he's been out um, he's looking for the way back well he's this, looking for the way back this is this is like the the Emmerich Devlin thing I'm talking about though because this movie finds a way to sort of just like kill time for thirty minutes without anything really expensive happening yeah totally yes. It's, it's a like lot of looking at a wall while camp. Kurt Russell's in a tent. Right. And, and right. just like the only special effect really is just a bunch of people, a bunch of villagers. Yeah. And some glowy right. eyes. Yeah. And yeah. then, so it's true how it's like pretty chill for a while. And then a pyramid spaceship shows up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the other soldiers that are still at base camp where they entered, God Ra himself mm-hmm. shows up in, in yep. a friggin pyramid spaceship. He's got a pyramid scheme. He's got a and yes, thank yeah. you. Ten good comedy it's a good points. Point. It's time he to has, call him out. He has a literal pyramid scheme. In a way, Ra was the original Bernie Madoff. <laughs> and so we learn pretty quickly that he was trying to escape death as and and was an alien. Mm-hmm. Okay, like and the design of the alien is kind of classic. Your classic almond-eyed alien. Yep. And so he went to primitive Earth. 
and he inhabited the body of a, an Egyptian. And we Academy mentioned, Award like, Davidson. Yep. made this whole pyramid scheme happen with some Stargates. And now back. he's off to the races and he's still market. alive. And yeah. he, I guess he's kind of just checking in. Can we just point out that there are two different Academy Award nominees in Ra's palace? Yeah, because Jaman Kunsu is also like the Anubis warrior. Um, yes, and he is credited as Jaimon. Just single. I just Jaimon. It's cleaner. Wow. Oh, you're uh, right. He's Horus. He is Horus. Yes. Uh, someone, uh, Carlos Lachau is Anubis. But I do oh, love but, their uh, scheme, yeah. where it's like they they wear the the alien masks mm-hmm. to make them. They look pretty cool. Like yeah. really oh, fucking cool. They so look like cool. the what you would see on like a wall in Egypt. It's got like the Anubis, the hieroglyphics. Yeah, dog head. But that right. makes Do they have people, a dog arm? I don't know. That makes, that people, makes people think, think they're, that they're so gods. cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Ra has his cool kind of pharaoh mask. That's his vibe. And he's got the eunuchs. I don't think is cool or chill either. Especially with the context of talking about this director. I feel like we should just skip over that. Eh, maybe just move on. Yep. Uh, but yes. And he's got some henchmen. The henchmen have like seemingly just like laser staffs. Cool. Laser staffs. Yeah, it's a couple laser, laser staffs. staffs. I will say fire. good on Kurt Russell. When he gets his hand on one, he figures out how to fire it immediately. immediately. Like, there's yeah. no learning curve for him on that. Yeah. Yeah. Guy's great with guns. So they uh, kill all the military guys pretty quickly. And it's a very simple and I'm sure like on the cheap scene. Right? Yeah, it's a lot of just like them getting whacked around a corner, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Conveniently, there's a dust storm. Right, right. And then also, I don't know if this comes here later, but I feel like what needs to be pointed out is this movie, not that it predicted, but drones in 94. <laughs> Guys, yeah. I mean, God, it I'm was so ahead of the curve. And, and say that Stargate invented drones. Yeah, let's say yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. I, I feel comfortable with saying that. 100%. This movie pr- is proving something, which is drones are cool and you should have Stargates in your movie. Mm-hmm. I co-sign fully. Thank you so much. Um, I do also like the, the Stargate teleporter. Oh, right. That's the, like uh, an the, elevator. The, the multiple rings. Right. Oh, That's, yeah. It's a very cool effect. Down. Yeah. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty good uh, little uh, Chekhov's gun. Like, you know, it's set up as just kind of cool world building and they find a way to have it like pay off uh, dramatically, like uh, two different ways in the last uh, chunk of the movie. And yeah, and I like how it's like, you know, we know they have Stargate technology and it's just like a little mini version of that. Right. Like, yeah, makes sense. Who wants to walk through a hallway? That's a fucking slug. God, what a pain. And that pyramid's big. Getting up around that thing. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we meet Ra. Come on. Can we talk about meeting Ra? Yeah, Ra has cool eyes. His voice is great. Yeah. I love the modulation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is pretty good. It's effective. <laughs> it's pretty effective. He was spooky to me when I was a kid. I was very freaked out yeah. by Ra. Yeah, me too. I did think it was a little distracting how in uh, the Ra scenes, you can uh, hear uh, Jay Davidson on the phone with his realtor trying to figure out what he can buy for a million dollars. Thankfully, they were able to lower in the mix, so it's very subtle. But no, I know it can be distracting. Like he'll mouth out his dialogue to be dubbed later. And then anytime anyone else is speaking, you hear him low in the mix going like, I mean, like, well, no, I would love to have a little money left over. But also, I want to get maximum value. 
bathrooms, like his and her sinks. And it's weird how he's holding a, a you know, a folder with laminated yes. sheets and he's just flipping right. through it. Right. He's During got a Corcoran group scenes. folder. Yeah. <laughs> he's got like uh, fabric samples he's looking yes. at. Yeah, right. <laughs> No, I think that the morph of the mask into his face is is the best moment in the movie. I love that it's it it's it's not what you expect it to be, yes. right? But it's a perfect it, as we said, perfect casting. The, no one looks like him. He's got an incredible look. Mm-hmm. Uh it's right in the pocket for 94 too. That kind of like um United Colors of Benetton, like you know, like that sort of the type of person who is f- uh, front and center in a fashion campaign then, right? Like the sort of like androgynous, beautiful, angular person. Totally. And because, as you said, Jay Davidson refused to even wear the helmet, whereas yes. with like uh, Jaman and uh, whoever plays Anubis, you can tell that they shot them with the helmet on and then shot them with the helmet off and like morph those two things so that right. it's a, a slightly cleaner visual effect. But with uh, Jay Davidson, the unintended result is that it ends up looking like the Michael Jackson black or white video where it doesn't look like the helmet is peeling back. It looks like the helmet is morphing into a human face. (laughs) Yes. Which Uh, rules. Rules. Totally rules. I want to say about his lair, to me, really, it also sort of just like looks like um, a history channel reenactment. Uh, totally. I wonder if they like made money by renting out this set to History Channel for the following <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> they must have. Like they just left it standing and it was like an Airbnb for documentary film crews. Yeah, man. That's that's like it's, as soon as like they wrapped Cleopatra and Mark Antony were like <laughs> waiting in the wings to go film a scene. <laughs> I mean, they use this for gods and monsters, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sorry. Definitely. Is it Gods of Egypt? Gods of Egypt. Both. Gods both. of Egypt. My yeah. mistake. All right. Well, okay. So something we skipped over is we should just talk about the nuclear bomb. I mean, we right. set it up earlier in the episode, but mm-hmm. right. we see Russell at one point lock and like load this like nuclear bomb, I guess. It right? looks like a trash can. Let's it looks honest. like Wally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does look like a trash can, but with a flashing light on it. Yeah. yeah, and a couple so, like sort of metal arm things and treads. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Why did he bring the nuclear bomb? It's just sort of like a backup, just sort of like just in case. Uh, as someone who watched this like two hours ago, he brings the bomb because it was his assignment to if, if they sensed any danger. Yeah, right. It's, when it's they got a, to the planet, he was supposed yeah. to get his men across. And then he would stay behind and blow it up because he's right, got nothing mission. else to live for. He he uh, yearns for death. He doesn't then, tell his soldiers. No, he doesn't tell French Stewart. Or there is another character actor who's like, Kowalski. I feel like I've seen a bunch of times yeah, and he's really John good Deal. in this. Yes. John Deal, who rules. I love John Deal. That guy's Great. the best. Yeah, but he's um, like the right hand man. Yeah, Kowalski rules. But uh, yes, um, he uh, Ra hits him back with, you brought a nuke. Well, I'm going to put an alien crystal next to your nuke. Send it Shut back. Shut out of that. It'll blow up the whole <laughs> planet. It's a hundred times now more powerful. Pretty good. It is a yeah. power move. Yeah. And like, that's just like classic one, one upmanship, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. And, and Kurt Russell gives him credit. He's like, you plussed it. Good job. 
I feel like we were talking about this on the Rise of Skywalker episode recently, but it definitely feels like a move where kids are like, yeah, well, this will make it a hundred times stronger. It's infinity plus one. Yeah, it is so infinity plus one. Yeah. Um, and they're they're jumping around a lot. Well, and, this and is when they do all the spectacle. This is when Roland Emmerich brings out all the effects. The yep. those ships come out. The like ancient Egyptian spaceships, drones, mm-hmm. um, and it's it just becomes a lot of action. Yeah, it seems like they were kind of gonna go towards like we're gonna because they find out those people are all humans. Mm-hmm. So it's like, are we gonna help them? And they do, but like they don't bring them back to Earth or anything. They're like, yeah, they just they got their own thing going here. We'll give him some well, guns. But, it's all good. I mean, right? I mean, the the uh, uh, James Spader's uh, beloved. Who right. there's the the weird scene where they make a joke about him being her husband, and then she says, "Don't worry, I didn't tell them that you didn't want me." And then he smooches her, and then they're officially like, obviously. In love. I'm super horny for you, even though I met right. you yesterday. But then she gets shot in the middle of this. So then he has to bring right. her back to Ra's bath to bring her back to life, even though Kurt right. Russell has already activated the bomb. And a lot of this is just like Kurt Russell learning to want to be alive again. And nothing <laughs> yep. makes him feel more alive than murdering a bunch of Ra's <laughs> bodyguards. Right. right. Nothing makes him feel more alive than distributing assault rifles to the peasant children he has met on this alien world. (laughs) He has like a full Rambo sequence. Like he goes all the way back and he's like, actually, guns fucking rule. I'm going to smile while shooting them and give them to everybody and encourage them to do the same. I I love Kurt Russell. He's an incredibly charismatic actor. He's extremely hot. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy. He's yeah. a movie yeah. star. It's wild how he has nothing to do in this movie. <laughs> nothing to do. What you're describing. Right. And also, it's kind of fundamentally bad casting because it feels like this part is written for like a Bruce Willis, like an action star who has an innate yeah. sense of sadness I mean, to him. Kurt Russell is very charming, very yes. confident. He very does high not play energy. vulnerable. Yeah, yeah like likes to have fun. Yeah. So he just ends up seeming bored most of this movie. I enjoy looking at him. I mean, it's always fun to look at Kurt Russell, but you never get the sense of like, oh man, this guy's still really broken up about his son. Yeah, but the end he's kind of like cracking <laughs> yeah. jokes and like looking snarky as he yeah. like starts shooting. But people. you know, it was a real it was a real time for him because he got Captain Ron in O two in ninety two. Mm. Okay, that's mm. fun, Kurt Russell. That's sure. wild, Kurt Russell. But then you have. Tombstone, Stargate, Executive Decision, Escape from L.A., Soldier. That's a real run of him playing sort of square tough guys. Yeah. So maybe that was just his, I don't know, he just sort of like swang that way. Maybe Clinton got elected and it really ground his gears. I don't know. Well, it's like the 80s were his John Carpenter run where he did all these sort of like, and they're very like sly parodies of classic action heroes and then the 90s it was right. like let's remove the satire from it let's <laughs> yeah, just do the right. most straight laced straight yep. up i mean i think his best movie of the 90s is breakdown which is an amazing movie but breakdown that's, that's fucking rule but that but that's a dramatic movie there's not a lot of yes. fun that's all tension totally and then like occasionally he would do like your your three thousand miles to graceland like he would be weird but tango and cash you're leaving off well that's 89 Oh fuck! That, I thought it was a long 90. time ago. Okay. Like, it was, I, I thought we're, we're, I, look, we're, I was wrong. <laughs> I was very wrong. I was very wrong. And please arrest me. Go ahead, Ben. I would like to say something right now. Please. Okay, here we go. You know, you gave me 
you gave me the, the opportunity to pick this episode. We gave you the sure. choice. Yeah. Give me the choice. It's great. I love doing this. It's fun. John Carpenter. Come on. When are we going to do him? <sighs> Guys. I mean, he came he close. He fucking rules. He came close. Uh, what was it? A, a t- you could do this know, all day. 2019. I know. Did he, I, I, did he make look, the finals or was it the last? No, he made the I, I think semis. he made the final four. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah the final four. Yeah. It got close. It was definitely boosted by by your sort of campaigning for him. I've been thinking about it more and more lately. Can I throw out a thing? Because on the fifth throw anniversary, I'm going to throw out the thing. Mm-hmm. On the fifth anniversary episode, we we teased the idea of doing a loser's bracket for next year's March Madness where every contestant the, the one was rounders, someone right, who had right, never right. made it past the first round. There is yeah, another yeah. idea that has gained some popularity on the Reddit, which is each of us Sure, we have four, four quadrants. Mm. It's like a division and, thing. So there's like a Ben division, Ange division, Dave division, Griff division. And essentially, each one of us gets to yeah. have one of our picks go to the final four. The final four would be, right, each of our champions. Right. right. Okay. All right. I'm just throwing that out there. All right. I like that. I think that's John cool. Carpenter lost to George Miller by like 30 votes. They, yeah, it yeah, was, it was really a 50-50. Close. He's it really, he's really Peter close. Jackson and Penny Marshall. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like Ben, who else would you have? Like, let's say you have Carpenter. Harmony Corinne. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it is very hard to jinx someone over Zoom. <laughs> yeah. We did just say that perfectly synced up. You really did. You really did. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. Carpenter, Harmony Corinne. Um, it would be, we would have eight each, right? That would be the, we would get to pick eight guys each. Guys I will say I I like started drafting this like I was like uh-huh. who would my eight guys be and I'm not going to read who my eight would be <gasps> but I did Griff Division and then I did Ben Division and Division David Division uh-huh. and I never got around to filling out the rest of them except for Ben where I just wrote Carpenter Kareem <laughs> <laughs> I wrote right. those two and then forgot about it I'm trying to think who the other like Ben champs would be yeah I mean because like I have like the obvious people I just like, but we wouldn't do because it's like territory that's already been covered. You Such know, as. like an Anderson, a Tarantino. But I mean, this is, uh, you know, yeah, this bracket this would be the time try. to you make that's your true, case. Right? Yeah. I know, but I would want to curate more like like uh, outsider-y kind of choices because like, I, I feel like yeah. that's just my vibe. I think you would have recourse to pick David S. Ward. Wow. He directed Major League. King Ralph, oh. Major League oh. Two, and Down Periscope, which I'm just going to assume you've seen. Fuck yes, I have. <laughs> I mean, a miracle run. An absolute miracle run. He only oh. has six movies, but four of them are Ben's, Ben's picks. Definitely. Major but, League makes me cry so hard every time I see it. But David, you are leaving out the most incongruous thing about David S. Ward. Go ahead. His only four films are the four films you just mentioned. No, he made reason- six films, but... Go, oh, yeah, go okay, ahead. I'm sorry. He made sure. six films that are very much of a piece with what you just said. But his breakthrough was that he won an Academy Award for writing The Sting. He did write The Sting. He also wrote um, Sleepless in Seattle. He Great writer, I guess. But you would not expect that the man who wrote The Sting would go on to direct Major League Two. And I say that with no disrespect to Major League Two. Look, the guy's an auteur. He wrote Major League. Yeah. 
He didn't write down Periscope. Who wrote that? Uh, looks like that was written by uh, Lucifer. He, al- <laughs> he no, also was one of the writers on Flyboys, which was Dean Devlin's yeah. first post-Roland Emmerich movie, Full Circle. Uh, that's the one with James Franco, right? That's the uh, World War One movie? Yeah. Yes, and it was a movie yeah. uh, financed by, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Ellison, pre-Annapurna, yeah. because his son loved airplanes, and he wanted to make right. a movie for his son, and his son, David Ellison, who now finances pretty much every Tom Cruise movie is like the fifth lead in it, despite having no history as an yeah. actor. Wanted to be a fly boy. He said, I have a nice, handsome son, and he likes to be in a plane. I'm making him a movie for his birthday. Now I want Larry Ellison. Sorry. David, I, I mean, Ben, you got to pick your A. I'm going to f- figure out who my We're doing are. that later. Let's finish up our Stargate episode. I know. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean later. I mean later. Yeah, we'll 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 revisit because I definitely I wanna I wanna think on it. I just want to tease the idea for later. But I like that a lot. All it's right, it's a fun idea. Let's get through the plot, though. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of like what else there is to Again, sort of kind of guy went off with a portal. Right, Kurt well, Russell. Well, I know, yeah. I know. But leading up to sort of our end of you know the end fight. I mean, there's not really anything that's sticking out to me uh, that I want to really go over. Kurt Russell wants to commit suicide, wants to let yeah. James Spader go back, but then they end yeah. up realizing the right thing for them to do is to switch positions. Kurt Russell needs to go back home with his newly invigorated sense of life, and mm. James Spader needs to stay there and study the civilization and also uh, uh, settle down, become an honest man. And bang a lady. Yeah. In the desert. He needs to have some desert sex. He definitely needs to have some dry sex. I would just like to point out a better version of this, but extremely so. I realized halfway through this movie that I was watching Atlantis, Atlantis the, Lost the Lost Empire. Empire. Bam! Yeah. 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 Very similar. You're right. Dorks with like floppy bangs and round glasses that are like scrambling with all their maps and papers and shit. And everyone's like, look at this fucking dork. And then a rich benefactor shows up and is like, come into my car. You're right. Everyone else is wrong. Don't tell anybody. Right. And then there's like a hot, sexy lady that's like, oh, I actually can help you. Except in Atlantis, it's Cree Summer playing Kida, who's a great character and actually has like more agency and is more interesting. Ben, have you ever seen Atlantis, The Lost Empire? I have not. You fucking love it. Yeah. It's a good joint for sure. Yeah, you'd dig it. Disney hand-drawn animated film in which they were like, we're done with princess musicals. We want to make action movies for boys. The entire film is designed by Mike Mignola, who is the looks artist cool. who created Hellboy. Hellboy. So the whole oh, movie, it's nice. a Disney movie yeah. that looks like a Hellboy comic. And cool. Ange is correct. It is almost exactly Stargate, except with Atlantis. To the point where he like stays behind and he's like, I want to learn more about this culture. And they're like, all right, bye nerd. But also like a ragtag crew where you have yeah, like the sardonic crew. like explosives expert and like yeah. the mining guy, the French guy named Moliere who looks like a rat and has goggles. Cool. Yeah. It's a pretty like diverse crew too. You'll fucking love it. All right. I wrote it. I wrote it down. I just want to say though, if I was ever on a crew, I definitely would be the explosive no expert. Question. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. no yeah. question. Yeah. Like that rules to me because that awesome. guy, you're like, all right, whoa, what's up with him? The the character uh, his looks thing is explosives. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's up with him. He is a French. No, he's not French, but he's played by Father Guido Sarducci, and he is an explosive expert who wears uh, medieval he have a armor. 
He's got a mustache and a yeah. bowl cut, and he wears like a fucking armor plate like a knight. Dude. Yeah. That's a good look. And Michael J. Fox is the lead. He looks like James Spader in this movie. And he's like, you're telling me there's an Atlantis Whoa, under dude. the water? Yeah. All right. So this is what I'll say to get us through. Okay. I just wanted to point out, and we've already, I think, talked about it, but there's that dumb scene with Spader where he's just like translating their language, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, they're going to incite them to be able to now go to the Stargate, get out of there. And then I also want to mention when the kids take it upon themselves with the guns and they're like going to go lead the fight back at like the entrance to the Stargate, right? Mm -hmm. Where the alien ship is parked. I really thought it was cool as a kid to see that they're like, like he's like telling his dad, like, no, I'm going to (laughs) fight. And that is like, I think powerful storytelling for a young Ben to be like, (laughs) I know what's right. I know what we need to do. We can't just be weak. We got to go and, and, and bring it to him. You so know? this movie really changed your life. <laughs> yeah, man. Definitely. I've been trying to uh, find a Stargate ever since. Okay, so uh, there is just the fighting that's going on outside with some of the military men and the kids. And I just think that's, it's like, A, insane, right? Because it is children who are being put in harm's way. Mm-hmm. But it also is cool, like I said. <laughs> yeah. And then inside, you got Russell and uh, Spader, and they, they, I guess, have some kind of then extended scene again with the prince. Do they fight? I don't even remember. Yeah, how does he... I, I'm, I'm trying to remember how they end up killing Ra. I think cuts they his fight, head off. You know, they fight oh. Ra. They cut one of his soldiers' head off, and they fight him, and I think he runs away to his ship, and they portal the bomb because they realize they oh, like he tries right. to disarm the yeah. bomb and he's like yeah. I can't oh they must have wait did we it. talk through the whole execution and all we did all that right the yeah. whole yeah yeah, yeah right yeah Spader right. the gun on him all that stuff they they portal the bomb and then in the final moment before raw explodes you see the alien face which is pretty cool. Yeah. You see the gray alien. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's such a funny hijink to like, you know, when the bad guy drives away and then he doesn't realize that the bomb is in the back. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Ding Dong yeah. Ditch. What's funnier than uh, placing a bomb in someone's vehicle and leaving? So they do in Birds of Prey. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, good moment in Birds of Prey. So yeah, and that, that's it. Also, and the people Spader's- rise up. That was a cool yeah. scene. I like seeing yeah. all those people running in the desert. That was a striking scene. And they revealed the guards to be false gods. They they yeah. take the helmet off. Oh, Kurt yeah. Russell pushes yeah. the false button. False gods. Yeah. Great name for a metal band. Sure. But yeah, I mean, the movie ends very abruptly. It's like they realize they got to switch places. Russell should go back home and learn to love life again. And James Spader should stay there. And uh, the movie ends with one final journey through the Stargate portal, which is how all movies should end. Yeah, well, uh, it should yeah. keep going. Yeah, first person POV. I mean, I wish the Stargate graphics had lasted throughout the entire end credits. <laughs> yes, that, <laughs> that would be, be cool. That'd yes. be really fucking cool. That would have ruled. Uh, but that's Stargate, man. That was fun. I I uh I love this movie. It's so like to try and frame it a little bit if why I feel like there's this some kind of like aesthetic or vibe that I can't necessarily pin down to it where I was joking before it's like I'd like got this light touch it's so thin yes. it's like kind of how I feel it's so thin but at the same time when you were talking about Spielberg 
it made me think this is like a bad version of Spielberg. It's thin storytelling, but you feel safe. It feels comforting to me in some weird way. Other than it, obviously I have a connection to it because I was nostalgic and watched it as a kid, but I feel like there's something from maybe movies of this time. I don't really know, but I love them. I agree with you. And I think bad Spielberg is like bad pizza. It's still pizza. Yeah, It reminds me enough of the thing I love. And if you're going to rip something off, rip off the best. Like there's something comforting about trashy blockbuster movies aiming to be Steven Spielberg rather than aiming to be whatever they aim to be now. Okay, so can I do my little corner here? Yeah. The score for this movie is by David Arnold, who went on to become a very successful uh, composer, including uh, many of Roland Emmerich's biggest films, Independence Day, also did four James Bonds in a row. I think he did the last yeah. two Brosnans and the first two Daniel Craig's. Um, uh, maybe, you know, he's, you know he, he, he's a guy. He's a journeyman. This was his first real movie. I think only his second job ever. He was still working, yeah. I believe, at a video store when he was composing this film. Uh, and Roland like, Emmerich credits him with making the film feel a lot bigger in sort of scale and scope. Um, but there's the one cue that isn't the main theme, although I guess it kind of is, but the very hijinksy version of it when James Spader is being dragged by the uh, star horse, right? Um, and I was like, I've never seen this movie before. Why does this sound so familiar? And then I found out, I did some digging, that musical cue is one of the most used cues yeah. in the history of movie trailers. Because I was like, where, where do I know this from? And I was like, I just, I, I have this image in my head of hearing this score and seeing a title card say, an adventure 10,000 years in the making. You know, like something like that. So then I looked right. it up. Can I just speed round some of the trailers that use the Stargate score? Okay? I'm going to just read these off as quick as I can. The Time Machine, Dungeons and Dragons, Waterworld, Warriors of Virtue, Volcano, The Mummy, Mighty Joe Young, The Man in the Iron Mask, Lost in Space, Jumanji, Dragonheart, Nim's Island, Chicken Little, The Polar Express, Independence Day, Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow, Deep Rising, Titan AE, Mission to Mars, Spirit, Stallion <laughs> of the Samaritan. It is one of, according to a website that I use as a database to try to identify music from trailers, it is the sixth most used trailer cue of all time in Damn. terms of instrumental, not song, right? So then I started digging into this further and three of the five results above it were all credited to the same artist, not a composer name that I recognized or a score from another movie, but something called Immediate Music. And then I went down this rabbit hole and there was a company called Immediate Music that exists just to create very cheap to license trailer music. So they create scores that sound like scores you've heard in movies to help establish the tone in a trailer, but that have never actually been from a film. And they got popular enough that now Immediate Music has like 30 different albums on iTunes and they are incredibly bizarre. I will not list them. I implore all of our listeners to do this search themselves. Immediate Music, they have albums where every album title and every track title is like a sound alike to a type of movie you've seen or heard before. And then the tracks are just like tempo for slightly offbeat comedy. And that's like one album's name. And then the tracks are different. Like this is the track for if a, a slob meets a snob. 
This is a track for someone meeting their their lover's parents for the first time. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So anyway, that's the rabbit hole I went down. The track in the Stargate soundtrack that is used so much in trailers is called Mastraj da- Drag. Mastradij Drag. I assume that's the name of the creature. Yeah. Look that up and then also look up immediate music on iTunes. That's the end of my corner. All right. Well, I think that's the end of this episode as well. Wow. Wow. We did it. We did another bench choice. Thank you guys. This was fun. Well, um, I look forward to maybe getting to pick another one down the line. Yeah. What would, um, apart from Ralph, what, what do you, what do you got? Hmm. Well, I think I pitched one time the Simpsons movie. And we didn't hate that idea. Oh, yeah. I don't hate that idea at all. Yeah. I'm also just looking at our schedule here. Right now, there is in between our next miniseries and the miniseries after that, which I think it's been announced at this point. Nora Ephron is starting next week. We're yes. starting with When Harry Met Sally. Even though she did not direct it because it feels important to the canon. So next week will be When Harry Met Sally. And then we're running through the proper Nora Ephron filmography. But in between Nora Ephron and March Madness winner Robert Zemeckis, we currently have slotted Wonder Woman 1984. That's assuming that it ends up coming out then. Which is at this point is a big question mark. So I'd say there's a 50-50 chance that we need a Ben's choice on August 16th. <laughs> hey, another thing we haven't done though. The box office game. Thank oh, you. Oh, sorry, okay. David. Come on. Let's, let's do bad. it quickly. Let's do it quickly. Quickly? My computer's dying and I'm feeling too lazy to get my adapter. I want to see if I can get all the answers <laughs> before right. my computer's battery dies. All right. All right. I'm fine, turning then, my brightness all the way down. Okay, uh, this movie opened in October, October 94. Uh, it opened to $16 million and was a, a sort of surprise hit. It held really well. It actually I think it was the biggest October opening of all time. October Something used to be like a, that. a dead spot. Dead yeah. zone. Totally, total yeah. dead zone. So it made 71 and 200 worldwide, which was a nice, uh, you know, four times its budget worldwide. Big honking um, hit. No. Created a whole media franchise. Um, so it opens number one. Number two at the box office is it's only in its third week. One of the big surprise hits of the year. Uh, it's going to go on to get nominated for best picture. It has already won the Ken's Palm d'Or. Uh, what is the movie? The the piano? Nope. That's 93. Oh, Pulp Fiction. I'm sorry. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Which like Miramax successfully spins out of a can win into a hundred million dollar grocer. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. That movie made $107 million. All right. Number three is an action movie uh, with a sort of slightly fading star, I would say. Big female lead and a male lead whose his best days are behind him. This is a really it, crappy movie. Is it the one with Stallone and Sharon Stone? Yes, but what's it, it called? It's Stallone and Stone, and it's called, oh, fuck. It's one of those titles that the studio clearly just title. had in a bucket. It could be it's anything. The something. Yeah. It's the Where something. Where they're like, ah, take this one. It's not, it's not the getaway. It's not the no. runaway. No. Am I close? No, it's like, what if something was, someone was good at something? Oh, the specialist? What would you call him? <laughs> call yeah. he's, a spe- he's a bit of a specialist. Yeah. Or maybe she's a specialist. I don't know. I've never seen it. Um, 
Number four is a movie that I offhand don't really remember at all. So let's see. Oh, oh, right. This is, um, it's a remake. It's two big stars who are married. Oh, is it uh, The Marrying Man? No, I don't even know what that is. That's a great title, though. Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger? Sure, but no, it's not that, but similar, like, big celebrity couple. Oh, is it the Warren Beatty, Annette Bening one? Yes, and it's a remake of a of a Delmer Dawes yes. movie, Delmer Dave's movie, I think. Um, It's not called Love Story. It's called Love Affair. Love Affair. What if they had a love affair? Yeah, Gary Shanley's in that. Isn't it also, like, one of Catherine Hepburn's last movies? Catherine Hepburn is in it. Yeah, I think it might be her very last film, it's, and it's I'm at five percent right battery. I'm at five percent battery. I have All one right. more movie to number guess. Number five, number five at the box <laughs> office is a, a, a really weird movie that is in my memory kind of interesting. Was a huge bomb. Uh, Scooby Doo um, Two Monsters Unleashed. No, um, about it's a biopic about a really weird guy. I have no idea how to explain this. Movie. It's not Hoffa. No, no. Uh, big stars, uh, big actors. It's an Alan Parker movie. Oh, fuck. Uh, oh, God. In it's between an- his hits, The Commitments and Evita, he right. takes this big swing here, and it, it, it mostly just baffled people. It's a weird biopic with a big star that baffles. Big people. star, big star, although not like a, you know, you know like a, a respected actor type star. You know, not like a marquee idol. Yeah, I'm at 4% battery. Is um, Ben going to guess? No, I will not. I found, though, an old list of movies I had put together for Ben's choices. So we'll get Ooh. into that. We'll, we'll get okay, into cool. it. Uh, 4% battery. Um, <laughs> what kind of what kind of figure? Where What what world did this figure it's based on exist in? Oh, boy. Um, he, well, he uh, was, let me tell you. The guy was a doctor. The guy was also, he had something to do with cereal. The Road to Wellville. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and he okay. really hated masturbation. I got it from Doctor. I <laughs> got it from Doctor. things were, I'm yep. a doctor, I invented cornflakes, and if you jerk off, that's bad. So I'm going to invent uh, all kinds of things that'll stop you from doing it. Ben, have you ever seen The Road to Wellville? I have not, but I, you, kn- I, I know it's so, I, I know about it because I heard, um, some podcasts about the history of yeah. Kellogg's mm-hmm. and yeah. how insane it actually yeah. is. Yeah. Was it Harvey, Reply John All? Kellogg. Right. Yeah, that sounds right. I yeah. think I heard on the dollop, but I, yeah, I feel like it's been a discussed thing. Um, um, yeah. Ben, if you had seen The Road to Wellville on a porch, we already would have done it as a Ben's Choice. It is such right. a Ben's Choice movie, and it is a movie that I would see. It would always play on Comedy Central when I was homesick from school because I was a sickly child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd get sick like twice a month. And it's very uncomfortable and bizarre, and it probably would be one of your ten favorite movies of all time. Right, right. it must have been one of those movies that the cable channels just got for like twelve bucks. You <laughs> you burn like... it off on Comedy Central at eleven a.m. Exactly. This is just it's just ballast for the yes. schedule. Right. It's just you can fill two hours. Okay, Ben, we're at three percent battery. Wrap us up. And take us home. Okay, so here are some of the other movies that I've pitched to you guys. Oh, my God. Just sort of leave it at that. Yeah. All right, here's the list. Tank Girl. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Joe Dirt. Joe Dirt, fuck. fuck, This is gold. Oh, my God. (laughs) 3%. Airplane. Sure. Sure. 
Yeah, sure. I they're mean, a I little feel like, more of a blank check candidate, but we never do. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. How long is their filmography? Uh, well, it's, it's it, it weird branches into three. three. Right. There, uh, there is a way well, we could structure that as a miniseries and maybe do it. I would say yeah. leave it off the list. The rest of the contenders are really good. The other one you've mentioned in the past is uh, Don't Look Back, the Bob Dylan oh, documentary. Yeah. I love that, too. You that know, one's so it, yes. good. Yes, but what about Masked and Anonymous, man? He should do Masked and Anonymous. Do you like that movie? Though no, you don't. That's too bad. I don't. I don't know it. It's, it's the weird. Written by Bob Dylan and directed yes. by Larry Charles, co-creator of Seinfeld oh, and director weird. of Borat. Yeah, uh, and it, it's right. It stars well Bob Dylan among other people. Uh, it's nice. it's just a weird Bob Dylan movie from like when he was sort of back when he was kind of in Victoria's Secret mode. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I've never seen any Dylan movies. That's something I should like, where he's like Pat and Garrity Kid or something. Pat right? Garrett and Billy yeah, the Kid. That movie's not yeah. bad. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. I'm going to check out Dylan movies. But all right, we got to go. His computer's going to die. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've become um, the let's wrap it up, guys. Come on, let's end the episode, dude. <laughs> I know, but right? Ben, do the outro. Like, oh, the fuck, only time this outro. has happened. Um, okay. Um, I just don't want to have to get out okay, of this chair. Right. I don't want to uh, fuck my computer. I want, no, I know. It's like, uh, okay, thanks uh, to um, Andrew Paracudo, yes. who's here. Nailed um, it. Thanks to uh, Lane Montgomery for the theme song. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, check out our Patreon uh, called Blank Check Special Features. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. And, um, and as always, put more Stargates in your movies. 2% battery. Nailed it. Cool. <laughs>